everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Hot Hits Wrestling Podcast. I'm Hitzer. I'm Hardy. Uh, this is episode number 200. So oh, we're five away. We are five away from our milestone episode 205, which is the real milestone episode. Yeah. You 200 is just, just a nice round number. <laughs> yeah, but we, what we really want to do is talk about 205 Live on episode 205, yeah. something we've been promising since well, 2018. 17? Yeah. Um, little did we know that by the time that we reached episode 205, we will be... Um, 205 Life will have been dead for months yeah, already. They were so close to outlasting us. They were so close. So very close. Yeah. But, you know, we... We, we outlasted, outlasted them. them. Um, shockingly. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about uh, the mistakes of uh, the WWE or Vince McMahon. Actually, we might a, a bit, bit later. Yeah. Uh, but on our 200th episode, our big one, we'll be talking all about All Elite Wrestling and a major monumental seven days that they've had. Um, firstly, we had, the, I would say, an A pay-per-view, mm-hmm. um, almost an A-plus pay-per-view in Revolution 2022, which featured tons of huge matches. Um, Hangman Page versus Adam Cole, CM Punk versus MGF, Mark Slee versus Danielson, Jericho versus Eddie Kingston, the face of the Revolution ladder match, the debuts of Shane Swell Strickland and William Regal. So much to talk about. And then, just three days prior to this incredible pay-per-view, we got the news officially confirmed. Tony Khan announced on AEW Dynamite that he has purchased Ring of Honor. Let's go. Uh, ROH, so we'll talk about that after the pay-per-view, but you know, that clearly shifts the landscape of the industry, uh, and it adds a lot of heft to the widening AEW landscape within, uh, so we'll get into that as well, plus we'll talk about former WWE slash current AAA superstar Kane Velasquez uh, getting arrested for attempted murder, um, Vince McMahon's interview on Pat McAfee's podcast, uh, and so much more, yep. but... Let's begin with AEW. And and before we forget um, and get into this pay-per-view, the day before the pay-per-view, I mean, I just got to shout this out. Like um, The triple threat between Sammy Guevara, Darby Allen, and Andrade El Idolo on AEW Rampage was such an incredible main event for a random go-home show, proving that AEW has like special things on every show. Even if, you know, these three particular superstars won't play a big part in the pay-per-view, they fucking killed it on a random rampage. Yep. Um, did you watch this triple threat between Sammy, Darby, and Andrade? And what do you think? Uh, yeah, I watched it after you told me. Oi, such a good match. I was like, okay on it. <laughs> uh, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, yeah. But then again, look at the talent. You know it was going to mm. be fantastic anyway. Um, again, yeah. it shows a bit of the viciousness that I love from Darby Allen. Um, mm. that, uh, that when he really goes for it, it's kind of crazy lah. Uh, and yeah. I, I feel that that only comes out whenever he's paired with people that he knows are as talented. Or can keep up with him, uh, uh, in the case of Sammy and Andrade. Correct, yeah. correct. So, like, you can tell, oh, this is awesome. And and same, it's like, it's like um, iron sharpens iron kind of thing. Yeah. yeah where yeah. you can see that, yep, these guys love working together. You know, in yeah. general, what I don't like about triple threat matches in the WWE is, or Fatal 4 ways, or Fatal 5 ways, mm-hmm. is that... It usually is just three guys getting thrown out of the ring and then it's one-on-one for a while and mm-hmm. then like, you know, then you switch and you rotate, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially just a one-on-one match with many different players. Yep. What I loved about Sammy versus Darby versus Andrade was that it was a real triple threat yes. match with all three guys doing coordinated attacks. Yes. And the 
choreography, if you want to call it that, was off the charts, you know. Yeah. Um, when when you have a match where Andrade El Idolo, one of the best luchas in the world, is legitimately the slowest member of the triple threat. <laughs> the slowest, was, the most methodical. Yeah. You know, when you compare him to the, like Sammy or Darby, like, I'm not calling Andrade slow. No, no. He's obviously it's a like a lucha, very come on. <laughs> He's obviously a fucking athletic, um, agile individual, yeah. uh, but you know he was the least of the three. You know that you're gonna ha- be in for a banger, yep. um, and he gave you a little preview for the three-on-three tornado tag match that we'll, we would have on on uh, AW Revolution. You yeah. know, um, and who would have thought that given this three, you know, death-defying wrestlers, Darby Allen or the bumps he's taken, Semi Guevara, the ridiculous ladder matches and all of that, Andrade, what we've seen of him. Who would have thought that in a in a tornado tag match featuring g- these three people mm-hmm. alongside Matt Hardy, you know, all his legendary TLC matches and all of that. The one who would steal the show with the most insane spot of the night is 62-year-old Sting, um, who jumped from yeah. a balcony onto nine right, uh, tables. Six, six, six. Stack. Um, Wait, it, one, was, two, three. it was three layers. Oh, no, no, no. Three, yeah, three, three. yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct, correct, correct. Right. I, think, I think it's nine, nine or six, lah, yeah. It's multiples of three, lah. <laughs> Um, Sting, who is 62 years old, who is older than Goldberg and Stone Cold and The Undertaker, who who was born during the Eisenhower administration, yep. is guy. still doing sh- is that guy, that guy is still doing shit like this. <laughs> um, honestly, for me, it, it, with all the amazing things that happened to the show, um, a 62 year old Sting jumping from a balcony onto like six to nine tables was the spot of the night, don't you think? I mean, in terms of the shock factor, hell yes. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, like, this is the thing that died from a buckle bomb, remember? Yeah, a correctly performed buckle bomb. It yeah, was no botch. It was not a botch, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. what what did he take in those few years? Like, what, like, his GH, you know, did he talk to Joe Rogan, you know? like Yeah, TRT or something. Yeah, I don't know, like, some crazy treatment or something that, like, gave him, like, years back or something. He looks... Decent, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. again, he's 62, so we don't expect much, right? Yeah, he, he's wrestling like nearly every week now on Dynamite in like tag matches, obviously, exactly. like, but he's still he's still wrestling a lot. He's wrestling more than Brock Lesnar, exactly, and more than some of the um AEW superstars as well, mm, you know. Mm. So that 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 just amazes me. And uh, as usual, like Sting's renaissance has been great so far. Correct. I mean, it can't just be DDP yoga, yoga right? He has to be taking something. <laughs> That's what I always say. It's DDP yoga, bro. <laughs> yep, yep. DDP yoga is uh, the organic version of TRT or HGH <laughs> or whatever it is. I mean, it's helped so many people. Jake the Snake, you know, um, to mm-hmm. to um, to DDP himself, you know, and a bunch of other people. Like, just watch the videos. All very touching, touching on. Ah, oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't wait to see Jake the Snake versus Kenny Omega in a 60-minute match soon. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> You bastard, you. <laughs> hey, if DDP Yoga can work wonders, why not? <laughs> um, let's get into AEW Revolution. Sure. Let's begin with the buy-in, which began with Chris Statlander taking on former friend mm. Leela Hirsch in what I would call the best women's match of the night. How shocking is this? Uh, I agree with it. Uh, with that being the best women's match of the night. It was hard-hitting. Uh, no pun intended. Um... Why, why, why was there a pun? Hard hits, ma? Oh, I forgot our, our, podcast, our name? podcast name. Yeah, yeah, it's been 200, <laughs> I forgot. <Yeah. laughs> and um, Leila Hutch, that's her name, right? 
The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like her, there, uh, she's this like stocky bruiser of a wrestler, which I always like to mm. see. Uh, taking on Chris Statlander, who I think has improved leaps and bounds over the past few years. Mm, uh, so the Galaxy's greatest alien is now a good wrestler. Yeah, so. because remember when she first started, that's not what we. I, said. I mean, like she said, a lot of the AWS women. Like, Correct, correct, yeah. correct. A lot of the AWS women's roster was very green, green at that point. Exactly. Yeah. So you can tell, like, they have been working at it, you know, and you can see the results from here, line. Like, I was like, "Yep, this is how you open it. This is the exact match. This is a perfect match for a buy-in." You know, mm-hmm. and I had, I was entertained. I was like, "Okay, bring it, bring on the next, you know, bring on the next thing." Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Leila Hirsch. I would like to see her join Team Taz because you know yeah, she is. She just fits that more. Yeah, she strikes me as a female test, yeah. you know. Uh, Chris Tatlander has grown by leaps and bounds, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that the first buy-in match was the best women's match of the night, I think kind of uh, speaks to probably the biggest flaw of AW Revolution, a pay-per-view that we love. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the two women's title matches failed to deliver. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. Like. Next up, we got... QT Marshall, hey. uh, the leader of the factory, the real trainer of Hook, by the way, in real life, you know. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that he's trained Hook. He's trained Jade Cargill. Um, he is, you know, the the real guy behind AEW's performance center, like, shall we speak? Which is yeah. the factory, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and what part of the reason Hook is as good as he is is because of QT Marshall and his training. Hook is not trained by Tess, contrary to popular belief, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. They didn't want like that sort of like conflict of interest, like, like uh, you know, the lack of objectivity. So QT Marshall was the one training Hook, and he's trained Hook to be such a charismatic, wiry young wrestler with a unique judo skill set. Mm-hmm. This feud between Hook and the factory has been perfect for building up Hook, giving him some nice squashes, allowing him to sell a little, show a little bit of you know his overall progressing game yep. beyond his quiet charisma, beyond his uh, amazing action hair, action Bronson entrance, his kind of uh, dreamy um, male model looks, you know, and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Hook has been probably the best case scenario for AEW's best built young guy yeah. from their, from their quote-unquote performance center like, from the factory, you know. Um, so it's only perfect for Hook to graduate from the factory to become, you know, like a real pro wrestler against his trainer, yeah. QT Marshall. I thought this was this was like a, again another perfect buy-in match uh, that entertained me and also at the same time show, showed off to a larger audience what Hook was all about. Yes, exactly. Again, uh, how they've been uh, pushing Hook uh, over the past few months have been uh, understated but correctly done. You know, yeah, yeah, just like small matches on rampage exactly. here and there. You know, yeah. nothing great, nothing, no convoluted storyline or whatever. Very very straightforward story. Just to showcase mm. what he can do, how he looks, you know, all the characteristics that will make a superstar uh, noticeable. Mm. That's what they did. And this, I feel, culminates to a great graduation, I guess, of sorts, yeah. uh, you know, uh, for Hook. And again, he delivered QT Marshall, as usual, brilliant. Uh, one of the best gatekeepers you can ask for. So, mm-hmm. why not? Definitely, you know, um, comparing Hook... Uh, a second-generation wrestler to how CWE built up Dominic Mysterio. You know, it's a contrast. It's a night and day contrast. Yes. You know, like Dominic was kind of plagued by. I'm not. I'm not like trying to shit on Dominic. I think he's a fine professional wrestler for where he is mm-hmm. in his career. You know, but the way that he's been built with all these silly storylines and love triangles and all of that. You know, clearly undermine his quality as a pro wrestler. Whereas Hook, what you've been focusing on is his presentation and his in-ring work. Exactly. You know? Um, and he doesn't. 
need much more than that. He can keep doing this for the next six to eight months. You know, mm. it's fine. You know, he's in that phase where he's growing. It's a developmental know, phase. You know, it's a developmental phase. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I could easily see him as an ROH TV champion. You know, like a year down the road. You know, like that will be his his like sure. uh second second level up like, You know, like his polytechnic or whatever. You know, before he goes to uni, before he graduates. Correct. You know. Yeah, and um, I feel that yeah, the, the, it's what a great uh, example to bring out Dominic Mysterio. The problem with Dominic Mysterio was that they trust him into the main, the you know a lot of the what was the lower higher mid, uh, sorry, the the Seth Rollins uh, status yeah, mid you know the higher mid cuts where you really need a good steady hand to really do that kind of job, you know. Like yeah, you pair it with his dad and all that, but again, Mysterio is not the best like mic worker or something like that. Also, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. what was Mysterio's strong point was again his skill set, his moves, you know, yep. and um how he told the story in the ring, you know. But mm-hmm. when you 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 hamper this young guy with one convoluted ass storyline, with mm-hmm. so many weird uh stipulations and weird like angles. It becomes very confusing for the audience to buy in. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's about his dad's eye. Sometimes it's about his sister having dating Buddy Murphy. It's weird, lah. Like, why not just focus on? Okay, admittedly, like I don't think Dominic has the quiet charisma. Yeah, 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 definitely not. (laughs) But you, you, there's there were so many other ways to build Dominic Mysterio, and I think Hook is a is a prime example of how you build a young guy without pushing him too fast too soon. Agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just enjoy watching him. Next yeah. up, we have uh, Don Callis making a surprise return to Kenny Omega's <laughs> music. Uh, Don Callis blames Omega's injuries on the fans' desire for five-star matches. Um, not um, too far from the truth. Yeah, he claims that the fans' desire for those type of matches ran him ragged. Uh, he proclaimed the Young Bucks and Adam Cole will be the new champions. And he said that Cole will be a great transitional title holder, keeping it warm until Omega returns. Um, he even said that the Undisputed Era was a faction within a faction, a sleeper cell, as he called it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I enjoyed this mini little promo that keeps Kenny Omega in our minds. I think Don Callis is a great mic worker that mixes comedy and delusion and some valid points sprinkled in here mm-hmm. and there uh, for a nice cocktail of amusement. Uh, he obviously is planting seeds for the elite civil war here. Um, and it was a nice little, just, you know, recap reminder like, that, you know, this is, a, this is a thing that will happen one or two months down the road. Don't forget about Kenny Omega. What do you think about Don Callis' return? Um, I, I've always enjoyed his work. Yeah. Right? yeah. Brilliant, brilliant asshole of an authority figure, manager, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, because he was an authority figure in Impact. Uh, yeah, he was the vice president uh, in kayfabe and in real life. Right, and then he's the manager for in AEW. La. The elite. Yeah, Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, just brilliant, um, heelish. You know, he's that face, that hair, the glasses. Just works. Everything works about Don Kelly's being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yep. And again, you know, what happens when an asshole speaks truth is that you still boo at him by the back of the mind. You're like, oh, he has a point. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and it builds a bit of sympathy for Kenny Omega as well. Yep. You know, without really like putting him like he's he's not being weak or anything. He's just that dude. This guy went crazy for y'all, mm. you know, and blah blah blah. Okay lah, sure lah. But then again, have you seen the work rate of AW wrestlers? <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, I mean, Kenny Omega is special, like even in AW. Yes, of course. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I see your point. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I had fun with this. Uh, who do you think is the face and the heel going into uh Adam Cole versus Kenny Omega? 
That's a how how, how do they frame question. this? Like, is Adam Cole is is he going to be the one to turn, or is Kenny Omega going to be the one to turn? Like, by, by turn I mean face, like turn face, because both of them are heels at the moment. Yeah, that's why. I mean, there's I mean we've. We have been having Kenny Omega heal for a while now already. That's what I'm thinking. I think Kenny Omega is going to be the face. Yeah. He's going to find. He's going to come back and he's going to find himself usurped. Yeah, he'll be. Uh, he'll be in that weird. Uh, he has that weird Triple H returns kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and also people are going to have sympathy because you know they're going to see that his faction has been turned inside out by uh, Others, a usurper. Exactly. Like Adam Cole. Yeah. yeah, true, 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 true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also think that you have to frame Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, the elite originals. Mm-hmm. Um, not just elite originals, but all elite originals taking on a faction from NXT. You have to make the AEW faction the face, right? Hell this is yeah. their home, right? It's their home. So it, it's it's gonna be. It's not just like elite versus elite. It's gonna be AEW versus NXT. So NXT has to be the quote unquote heels la, in the 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 people who came into their house exactly. You know? And people might, might always remember that uh, I think you, you said it brilliantly to me I think like yesterday that all mm. wrestling is canon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because like they, they even address you know why Kyle O'Reilly is suddenly buddy-buddy with Adam Cole. Like they, they touched upon their feud in NXT. Like they didn't just abandon it. You know? That's that's what AEW mm-hmm. is. Like all wrestling is canon. Like they're not going to ignore something that happened in NXT. Mm-hmm. Just, just, and, and just hope that you forget, you know. Like when when call ups happen from NXT to to the main roster, people just like Vince just hopes that you forgot what happened exactly, in NXT. You know? yeah. Like it's not canon. Like with AEW, all wrestling is canon, uh, and I I trust that they will touch on that because you know they're all such good um, workers at the start of continuity. Uh, the main event of the buy in though was the House of Black, Malakai Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews coming out to a great trios entrance, taking on the Death Triangle, Pack Penta. And for some reason, Eric Rowan slash Eric Redbeard came to their rescue mm-hmm. on Rampage, debuted. Um, <laughs> there is no storyline reason for Eric Redbeard to be paired up with Death Triangle. Um, the logical reason, the real reason is that he's there to take the pin uh, to protect all, all other five guys. You know? yep. uh, but I don't particularly mind this a bit lapse of continuity or lapse of reasoning because whatever, like, Eric Redbeard is here... Um, and I think this six-way match, best match on the buy-in, um, this bout was equal parts, you know, intense yeah. fisticuffs and amazing athleticism. Uh, the match broke down into chaos for the finish, like, you know, Panther hitting the package power driver on Black mm-hmm. on the apron. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Black was not the legal man to pin, uh, so Beautiful. Matthews ran, ran into Curbstorm Panther. Uh, Pack broke the cover, you know, Black hit uh, a head kick to Pack, you know, and, and Redbeard muscled up for destruction. But Black spit the Black Miss in his face mm-hmm. on a choke slam. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthews didn't miss a beat. He hit an amazing rising knee strike to the big man. Uh, then Brody King followed with a power driver and Black taking the win on Red Beard, who, as I predicted, took the pin. Um, I thought this was a great match. Uh, a great match featuring like four very high-level, fast-paced, high-volume workers in Malakai, Buddy, Penta, and Pack, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you also mix that in with the the horse fight between Brody King and Eric Redbeard, you know, um, two two huge like, buffaloes of a man, two huge tattooed buffaloes fighting each other. So he gave you like um some uh, uh the best of both worlds, I would say. Yeah. And I love the six way tag. Uh, how, what about you? Again, AW uh, surpasses anyone else when it comes to tag team wrestling. 
Mm. And um, this again shows lah because everybody got action in. There was very little like nothing going on kind of stuff throughout the entire match. Yeah, you were kind yep. of exhausted after the match. You felt whoa, that was a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. And everybody had a time to shine. Like I like that. Um, Malakai Black had tons of stuff. Pack did a ton of stuff. Penta did a ton of stuff. And the you know Red Beard was brilliantly um, uh, sprinkled in. Uh, you know. When needed, lah, you know, all that muscle, it uh, muscle, uh, the muscle power ups that were required, he delivered. Uh, yep, and again, yep. we we've already said that. Uh, what was his name in in WWE? Eric Rowan. Eric Rowan has always yeah. been one of those like, oh damn, this guy can wrestle. Like not yep. as good as uh the late Brody Lee, um mm. right, but correct Luke Harper, aka Luke Harper, mm-hmm. but. Kind of like the, uh, like this, um, I guess third best lah after Bray Wyatt and Brody, you know. Yeah, uh, you could say fourth best after Adam Shear as well. Uh, um, Braun Strowman. Oh yeah, Braun. Wow, he's really last lah, actually. <laughs> yeah, he he really is last lah. But, but the thing is, he's not. You know what I mean? The thing is, he's not a bad pro wrestler. Yeah, he's so not a bad pro wrestler. Yeah. Like it just goes to show that the Wyatt family was quite a high level of action lah back in the day. They just got fucked in booking. That's all. Correct. Yeah, yeah. In in every which way. Yeah. I uh, loved the buy-in. I thought it was um quick, <coughs> snappy, snazzy. Featured uh, uh three very different types of matches. Mm-hmm. So you know, it never bought you. It gave you a variety. Uh, great buy-in. I loved it. Uh, let's move on to the main card. The first match was one of the most heated feuds going into AW Revolution. A lot of Eddie Kingston. A lot of feeling feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie Kingston taking on Chris Jericho in a blood feud. Boy. Um. Eddie Kingston delivers a different type of fights to AEW. AEW has always been a high work rate type of thing. Even their big guys have high work rates. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. even their big guys are doing like moon salts and <laughs> shooting star presses and shit. <laughs> Eddie Kingston is not that guy. Eddie Kingston is a fighter. He is a street fighter, mm-hmm. and every fight that he's in feels like a real fight. A brawl. The la- the last pay per view against CM Punk. Hell yeah. Um, I can't remember a single technical hold that was ever used utilized. You know? It was just like biting and scratching and eye poking, you know, um, and a lot of like just basic German suplexes and Saito suplexes and stuff like that, you know, just guys landing on their head and neck. You know? Yep. Um, in fact, like throughout this entire pay per view, with with how many like hit and neck spots that people took, if I it, like, it almost felt like Revolution was booked by Kota Ibushi or something. Yeah. It was it was quite fucking gnarly to watch and this was one of the gnarliest <laughs> fights uh, because it felt so brutal what do you think about Eddie Kingston's Chris Jericho I mean yeah immediately off the cuff like Jericho landed on his neck yep yep <laughs> like the first move and um, mm-hmm. and it didn't stop Um, I think this was one of Jericho's best performances in a while this year for sure yeah right like uh, it's been a while and I think something about Eddie Kingston brings out uh, that kind of like brawler uh, mentality mm-hmm. that um, it's a good color that is different from the rest of AEW. It gives that um, the vir- the the diversity of variety that uh, AEW mm. requires, lah. Um, mm-hmm. And this was the match, lah. That's why it was the opening because it's not the most technically sound match and all that, but it will be a perfect opener just because it was exciting back and forth, you know, that uh, between the demo god, you know, and um, the the talk, His He's the influencer now. Ah, sorry. The yeah, influencer. get it right. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. The influencer, <laughs> Chris Jericho. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And that kind of thing, like, you know, that where... Um, 
because Jericho has been not cool, like in terms of he's been lame for the past few months. Yeah, yeah, and because Jericho has turned heel now, suddenly that retroactively feels right. Exactly, like he was lame. Yeah, yeah. You know, they 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 lead into what works and they move uh they move against what's not like you know. Yeah. That's that's the beauty of AW. Yeah. Like if something's not working, make it work by throwing a new angle to it like, like if, if Jericho is lame if Jericho is saying stupid things make him a heel so then people boo him and it's natural yeah, you, know? you know and so brilliantly done um, Kingston and uh, Jericho I feel has a few more matches in their tank uh, yeah because the way that this finished I felt uh, was was uh, amused I don't know what I'm using but unexpected I guess yeah, you know, uh, number one, I did not expect Eddie Kingston to win the big one because that's been his story, Same. right? You know, eventually he has to win a big one, but I didn't think this was the time. Like, not because I don't want Eddie Kingston to win, but because I thought that, you know, AW would like slow play this a bit more. But AW is good at giving me what I want almost immediately. Mm-hmm. I wanted Kingston to beat the shit out of Chris Jericho. Not only did Kingston beat the shit out of Chris Jericho, he made Chris Jericho tap yeah. with, a re- with a wrenching shoulder submission. Yeah, which actually um, looked good. The the stipulation of the match was whoever won, uh, w- this will end in a respectful handshake, la. Like this is like you know, um, whoever is the better man on the night, mm. you know, I will I will acknowledge it, it, you know. I will acknowledge it, la, But Chris Jericho in a million years in character, right? Never expected that Eddie Kingston would out wrestle him, uh, and he just couldn't accept it. You know, Kingston was ex- so ecstatic in victory that he asked the referee multiple times, "Did I really win? Did I really win?" Like he couldn't believe that he won the big one. I like that. Such a nice, sweet moment. Yeah. And then when he realized, when it sunk in, he sauntered over to Jericho, you know, for the post-match handshake. He was so like, yeah, I did it. I finally did it. Jericho drew out the tension. Beautiful. Chris Jericho is always good at, mm-hmm. at doing moments like mm-hmm. this. Uh, Kingston even said that he respects Chris Jericho because yeah. how can you not build respect after a fight like that? Exactly, because Jericho that, came all the way, you know, like really brought it as well. Yeah, yeah. but that didn't but that didn't sway Chris Jericho. He felt so Slighted. upset after... Yeah, he felt so slighted that he exited. You know, yeah. he left Kingston high and dry. Um, so this I think continues the feud. I like it, and I think it leads to an I quit match down the road. Yeah. This was a very enjoyable match. I think the ruggedness of Eddie Kingston fits the tone of the feud. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Final thoughts on the match. Man. Um. I can't wait to see the next match just to see how this uh this story concludes. Again, this mm-hmm. is what a C story. Yeah, pretty much. Right, and it's so exciting already. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, I love that, you know, um, Jericho's theme is still over. Judas is still over, but Jericho himself is not <laughs> yeah. over. Like, because after they sang along to his theme they song, and then they, <laughs> then they boot him and they cheered at the Kingston. Yeah. So, yeah, you can you can have an over theme. And you and Jericho did a good job at not acknowledging uh, the people singing along. Yeah. You know? So, he start, he's starting to do do that um, small little takes of a heel already. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you can sing along to my theme song. It's fine. But at the end of the day, you know, you hate my character and that's that's the thing, you know. Uh, next up, I think you got low key in just in terms of work rate. Mm. Um, best match of the night, just in terms of work rate, like not story or whatever. You know? yeah, yeah. Just in terms of choreography, the smoothness of it, the slickness of everything that happened. But AEW World Tag Team Championship between Jurassic Express versus the Young Bucks versus Red Dragon, a triple threat tag match. Uh, where the main story was that the elite could not get along. Um, was incredible. I think the Young Bucks. It's often to forget how just smooth they are, yeah. how much chemistry they have with every team, yep. with Jurassic Express and Red Dragon included, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think all six men who are just incredible workers delivered 
probably the best technical, just in terms of like, you know, the spot fest kind of yeah. match. Like, yeah. no bot- no botching, no messiness, you know. Because even in the other matches, there were like botches here and there. Yeah. This was just so smooth. fucking smooth. And the way that the elite broke down at first, they worked together and then they, and then, you know, they started turning each How other. How great was that psychology, apart. right? Psychology was on point two, which led to Jurassic Express winning, yeah. which I think was correct because, you know, there's no way that Jurassic Express, usually like in triple threats, the champion is the one that is the underdogs, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, rather than a 50-50 shot, you have a 33% shot right now. But now, yes, yeah. But now because of uh, the elite's dissension, you know, like that's what gave Jurassic Express the advantage uh, because the elite just couldn't work together. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked Fantastic psychology, move-wise, story-wise, everything was great. I love this match. What about yeah. you? Yeah. Um, just the way that I, I like my young bucks, you know, flying. Uh, mm-hmm. Red Dragon, I love them. The technical wrestling from both of uh, both Fish and uh, Kyle O'Reilly were O'Reilly. out there on display. And mm-hmm. the chemistry between uh, uh, Jurassic Express was kind of on point. Like yeah, it was brilliant. Like uh, the the hot tags were great on them because they were the underdogs definitely because they were four and two. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so uh, how they took out uh, how they took out Luchasaurus at the right time. You know, just as mm-hmm. like uh, and as uh, uh, Jungle Boy was about to make the hot tag, I was like, yeah. "Damn, this is awesome!" Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I really had fun with this man. Uh, the breakdown of communication between the Bucks and Red Dragon was obviously going to be... I mean, they, 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 I think they were a bit uh, too uh, optimistic on that point that they could work together because I think both of them, both teams already had the idea that they were going to betray the other team. Mm-hmm, you know, so mm-hmm. like... So like that that kind of like came into fruition when both of them, both teams at the same time decided they had enough of each other. Yep, you know, yep. and therefore when they started fighting, it gave a lot of time of recovery for uh Jungle Express, you know, and Jungle Express did what they did best, pulled those over everybody and destroyed them. La. It's a Jurassic Express. Sorry, sorry, Jurassic. What did I say? Jungle Express. Jungle, sorry, yeah, Jurassic Express, my bad. Yeah. yeah but yeah, yeah because uh, of that, I feel just the just the chemistry from everybody, just the, the psychology from everybody, and all the little little stories that are going on in the ring. This was one of my favorite matches of the night. Correct, you know, and and the reason I thought it was correct for Jurassic Express to retain is because Red Dragon versus the Young Bucks, the eventual tag match, right, does not need a belt. Nah. Like the story tells it, the story tells itself, the belt can be used in another way, lah. Mm. It's not like the WWE who just consolidates all belts on Brock and Roman, and then that you know WrestleMania is just one match, and then like New you Day can... and Usos for the tag team, yeah. Like you, you can use the belt for another feud, you know, mm-hmm. and to to legitimize Jurassic Express, Jurassic Express versus whatever tag team like Lucha Bros, uh, the Ass Boys, or or Bear Country or whatever la, You know, you can you can use the belt as a prop for that because the Elite Dissension does not need this. The Elite Civil War does not need mm-hmm. this. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, love that match. Uh, what was next was the face of the Revolution ladder match yeah. where we had. Um, three normal size guys, Christian Cage, uh, quite a veteran, yep. uh, with twenty ladder matches under his belt against Orange Cassidy, against Ricky Starks. Mm-hmm. Those are the normal size guys, and then you got the big Buffalo, yeah, the powerhouse cops, you know the the Bearcat. <laughs> you got Bearcat Keith Lee, and obviously uh, got Wardlow. You know, like now that we have William Regal, William Regal can just you know shout on the microphone, Wardlow. Hey. Um, <laughs> spoiler. So. <laughs> 
So you got like all these three big men against the three normal sized men, yeah. and more as, as as we thought, you know, we thought the three big guys were gonna steal the show in an unusual setting for three big men. Three mastodons in ladder mm-hmm. matches are not. It's not what we think of when we think ladder matches. Mm-hmm. You think, you know, you think High Phoenix, players. you think, you think Phoenix, you think Panther, you think guys like that, right? Ricochet, Ricochet, but God Lord, like this was a horse fight with ladders basically used as chairs, you know, yeah. um, and. The highlights of the matches were the three big guys just fucking slamming each other with ladders. Yeah. But that's not to say that the three small guys were were non-existent either. Oh, no. You know? They were round. Um, Ricky sucks spear through the middle of a ladder Brilliant. on the top part of the triangle onto Christian Cage. It was one of the best spots I've ever seen in a ladder match. Very unusual, very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, Orange Cassidy, when he was doing the whole, like, I spin with the ladder around my neck. And then, like, Hobbs and Keith Lee are standing next to him. And then they lift the ladder up, right? Yeah, and Orange <laughs> Cassidy. Oh, it was like, oh, brilliant moment right here. And he, you know, he... He skins the cat. Exactly. He skins the cat. He goes onto the top of the ladder. He tries to for the belt. Um, the belt, the ring. The, uh, the, the brass ring, the, the life the preserver. Life preserver. The, the, the life boy. Um, he skins the cat. And, and, and what I thought was, like, legit, the moment of the match was Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy always manages to deliver, unexpectedly, like... <laughs> Memorable spots, spots that you remember forever. You know, and this is the magic of Orange Cassidy. You may not like his character, or whatever, like you know, if you're a Jim Cornette type, you don't like the comedy character. So you don't whatever, understand. Right? But you can't deny that Orange Cassidy crafts fucking moments. He does, know? and he crafts. And the best moment of the match was actually Orange Cassidy. What do you think? Uh no, yeah, the, the, from the beginning, from the get go. I mean, Cassidy, when the three big guys are just facing off each other, and then Cassidy just rolls in, mm-hmm. like the fuck. <laughs> What was he thinking? You know? Yep. But in the end, he outsmarted them. You know, got them to hit each other in the end. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. Uh, one of the, the I think, low-key highlights is like Denhausen coming in to curse Starks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, out of nowhere, Denhausen, like, I curse you. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You know, it'll, it'll be hilarious if AEW, like, starts, you know, the, the referees start des- deciding to make cursing um illegal. Yeah. Yeah, because it it's clearly works. You know, every time that house curses someone, something bad happens immediately. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you mean uh, Starks fell from the ladder? <laughs> mm-hmm. Incredible. Um, I hope Starks is alright though because he he took like a nasty power oh, from no. Wardlow. Yes, he did. Damn. Son. From the, from the top of a ladder onto a draping ladder, boy, mm. he, it looked it looked like he wasn't launched properly or something happened yeah, with the fall. But I felt like he protected himself. It's just that his arms were still very exposed. He protected his head, yeah. la, but I don't know about but I don't know about his neck, you know, because I mean if you remember Ricky Starks just came back a few months ago from a broken neck. I so. really hope that everything's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean he Ricky Starks is the last person you want to be taking neck bumps mm. and boy, that looked nasty, la, but I hope he's okay. Because I we haven't heard any injury news or whatever, so I I assume he's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, this was a, a nice hard hitting match with I Fought the correct winner with Wardlow because yeah, yeah, this yeah. sets up the the Wardlow MJF thing. Yes, hell yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. The stipulation is that Wardlow is signed by MJF, not signed by yeah. All Elite. Exactly. They've kept up this. They've kept up this kayfabe to the point where Wardlow, in the three years he's been with AEW, has not gotten a Wardlow is All Elite graphic. Yep, you know, yep. because in kayfabe he signed to MJF and MJF the is stipulation. Correct, and the stipulation of the contract is whatever Wallow earns, whether it's a title match or a title shot or a title, has to be given to MJF. Um, MJF did say last week, though, that he's going to give Wallow uh, the title shot if he wins, you know, but 
considering what happens later on, right? I could easily see MJF taking the title shot away from Wardlow and taking it for himself. Yep. So that sets up a very natural internal story. Plus, the CM Punk story is still around, you know. Yeah. So it's all it's all intertwining. It's all beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you agree that Wardlow was the right person to win this match? Uh, yeah, hell yeah. I mean, just because his story right now is the more um uh, the one that has the most potential to grow into something great. Um, mm-hmm. the rest, you know, I mean, they don't need this. They don't need this win mm-hmm. at all, uh, At the moment, yeah. Um, yep. Ricky Starks and uh and Powerhouse Hobbs, you know, they can go on to feuds with like Kevin, uh, Keith Lee, and all that, you know. Oh. Yeah, pa- Powerhouse Hobbs is Keith Lee seems a natural feud, exactly. Right? Uh, yeah. and then you know you have uh, Orange Cassidy doing Orange Cassidy things. He doesn't really need it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we'll see, like, and you know, Ricky Starks has the the the, the title or the FTW title. Correct. Um, the only thing maybe I'm not sure what Christian can do but then I think he's more of a gatekeeper status at this t- moment in time well he's a Jurassic Express's manager yeah, la, yeah la. I mean therefore the whole gatekeeping thing no? mm-hmm, uh, that's, yep. that's his uh, that's his current level la. and mm-hmm. I, I think he's doing a fantastic job at that so yeah, yeah. keep at it um, yeah uh, Waldo's story is the one that is the most intriguing especially uh especially later on in the pay-per-view. Lah. Yeah, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Um, the reason this match doesn't quite hit five stars for mm. me was because of a certain... I mean, all ladder matches have lapses in psychology. Like, oh, yeah. You know, they always... But there was a particular moment when the three big guys were brawling on the stage, right? You know, yeah. brawling on the ramp and everything. Yeah. Um, and Christian Cage was alone in the ring. And instead of climbing the ladder, he set up, you know, the, the draping ladders on all sides and everything. Uh, you you know, like he's 20 ladder matches. Like he spent, I'm not kidding, like seven to ten minutes, you know, yeah. alone in the ring, setting up the ladders, and then like not bothering to climb the ladder to get the brass ring. Like, is no the else. most, <laughs> it's the most shocking lapse of psychology, particularly from someone who is so experienced exactly. in ladder matches. Therefore, yeah. I was like, Christian, brother, you've been in 22 ladder matches where you won majority of them. So, a lot, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Indeed, right? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was quite weird. So that that the lapses was like a psychology yeah, like that yeah. is what kind of brought it down for me just a little bit. And but that's uh, an issue with a lot of leather matches as well. Correct yeah. la, But this is a particularly yeah, yeah, striking yeah, issue. I la. agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have uh, a random AEW TBS title match between Jade Cargill, mm-hmm. dressed as Jade from Mortal Kombat, taking on Tay Conti, accompanied by Energy and Negative One from the Dark Order. Um. This was essentially kind of a match that didn't need to be here. If there was a match that could have been cut from this pay-per-view, it would have been this one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, n- not particularly great, but not particularly bad either. Like, this just felt like a rampage mid-card match. What, what do you think? Uh, no, yeah, you're exactly right. That's the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Jade is oh. obviously on a roll. I mean, she's being built as this in- um, unmovable object, basically. Um, mm-hmm. she's doing well as a TBS champion, you know, squashing everybody, just dominating the shit out of everybody that has faced her so far. I guess yep. Tay Conti is the first legit, like, you feel like this is going to be a much more tougher challenge for Jade than what she usually has to go through. And Not particularly. She has had matches with uh, Thunder Rosa, uh, specifically for uh, Ruby Soho, for oh, yeah, the about that, belt. Huh? Um, she had like a 20-minute banger with Energy, which felt like her most substantial match. Uh, oh, yeah, the Energy one. Did. I forgot about Energy. Sorry, lah. 
Yeah, you're right. And and that was that was probably her best match. Um, this one I think Tay Conti is not on NRJ's level. Um, and yeah. having two very green wrestlers, one literally, uh, in Jake Cargill and uh, one metaphorically in Tay Conti, like you know, like Jake Cargill needs someone with a bit more experience to kind of carry her for longer matches such as this. Uh, and Tay Conti is just not at that level to carry Jake Cargill. Mm. Uh, and ni- neither can Jake Cargill carry um, carry Tay Conti. So this felt like a bit of a developmental match uh, that you would see in NXT 2.0, you know, with, between two young girls. Yeah, yeah, okay. uh, but that being said, I like the way that Jake Cargill is still being built. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's going to get to 30 and 0 soon because she's 29 and 0 now. When when it gets to 30 and 0, she's going to say, like, I've, I've cleaned out the division, there's no one anymore left. That's when they're going to debut an Athena. That's when they're going to debut a uh, Tegan Knox or Tony Storm or someone like that, you know, like a legit challenger yeah, that can her. carry Jade Cargill yeah. to a 15 20 minute match and can beat Jade Cargill. So, yeah, that's where I think yeah, it's okay, going. Yeah, okay, yeah, that you? makes sense. Yeah. I'm down with that. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, but you know, um, this match I think could have been cut from pay per view and it wouldn't have been a problem. Like, this nah, could this have could been invented by Rampage or Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Um, next up, though, is a match that could not have been cut from the pay per view, one of the best matches of the night. Uh. Um, yet another psychology masterpiece between CM Punk and MGF in their second match together in Revolution. Um, I think, arguably, story-wise, best match of the night. Story-wise, story-wise yeah. best match. Best match of the night. You know, you have uh, CM Punk's music playing first, mm-hmm. and C- uh, MGF coming out. You know, um, it's the thing that we've predicted since day one, even before CM Punk was signed. Yeah. Oh, what if you know, cult personality plays and MGF comes out? Yeah. MGF finally does it. You know, and I love that. CM Punk knows that he's going to do it, so he came out to his ROH theme song. Which is brilliant. Uh, which is brilliant. And it's clear that I think 75% of modern CM Punk fans only know his WWE run and weren't aware of his you know, ROH theme yep. song. But it was a nice little in-story in story beat and in-story not yeah. because the CM Punk that MJF in particular fell in love with was the ROH CM exactly. Punk. Exactly. That picture, that, that it famous was, picture that he showed. Yeah, it was from CM Punk from ROH, mm-hmm. not CM Punk in WWE, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the CM Punk that MJF fell in love with, and that's the CM Punk that, uh, that MJF became disillusioned with. Yep. Uh, so that was perfect. And then you got the, this dog collar match, which kind of reminiscent of uh, Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho in terms of his ruggedness. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing too fancy, just a very rugged fight with a lot of bleeding. CM Punk just refused to stop bleeding after he got cut in like the first five minutes. And MJF right? like, they had to help to like stem the bleeding. Yeah, via a uh, quote unquote sleeper hole, but really he was just holding his head, you know, yeah. to stop his bleeding. Which one? It, 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 it looked like CM Punk lost pints and pints of blood. Yeah. You know? It looked it looked it looked great for the match, particularly because he was wearing you know the white shorts yeah, that he used to wear. Exactly. Yeah, that he used to wear in uh, ROH, you know, and all of that. Um I thought I thought this was fantastic story wise. Uh, it culminates with Watlow being asked to come out to deliver diamond rings so that, you know, MJF can use it once again to get the win, but uh, Watlow pretends that he forgot where he put it. Oh, is it this pocket? Is it my jacket pocket? My breast pocket? Left, right pocket? Where? Where is it? Uh, it allows CM Punk to hit the GTS. And I love MGF selling the fact that he was knocked out from the GTS. And then he falls onto the thumbtacks. And then he wakes up and he realizes that he's on thumbtacks. And he sort of, and he sort of like struggles. Yeah, know, he's like screaming and he's like screaming. Like, ah! ah! Beautifully done, MGF. I loved it, you know, because he was like knocked out and then he wakes up exactly. in th- Can you imagine waking up in thumbtacks and he was like, oh, what the fuck is happening? You know, I love it. Yeah. He And then MGF, uh, and then Wardlow gives, not not kind of gives, but he just puts, the ring, the, puts the, the ring there in front of uh, CM Punk, you know. Um, and walks as if away, you, that I've, you know. I've had it with MGF. CM Punk takes diamond ring, makes sure that MGF sees it, fucking beats him down with it, gets the, 
gets the pin for the win. Boy, what a bloody brutal match, which was built upon one of the greatest stories that not just AW, but I think the greatest story that pro wrestling has told over the last 12 months. You know, like, mm. you would think that after the Hagman Page story, it's like, what other deep, nuanced, layered story can AW Bring tell? Bring MJF out. <laughs> you know, like, oh, ha- Hagman Page was the culmination of this. Can they do it again? Yep. Yeah, CM Punk and MJF can do it again. You have so many people of this caliber on this roster that can tell this type of story, you know. You know, the the fact that, you know, where MJF's promo, which we ne- we've never talked about in this podcast, MJF's promo from a couple of weeks ago where he talks about his bullying. Um, if at the end of the year when we give our awards for promo of the year, if you don't give that promo of the year, I'm going to, like, Bruh, beat you. I freaking teared up during this promo. Honestly, and it turned him babyface for a week. Yeah, for a week until, you know, he decided that he had enough. You know, like, even CM Punk was so moved by it, he came out to kind of make peace with MJF saying, like, am I the bad guy? Am I really the bad guy? And the, and the truth of the matter is, right, yeah, pa- you're partly the bad guy, CM Punk. You've done a lot of shitty things and you've not acknowledged your fans and a lot yeah. of that. And you've, done, you've been a very selfish guy. And then you were sort of like, okay, are they going to make peace? MJF kicks him in the nuts, yeah. ties him up with the dog collar, makes him bleed yet again. Uh, and then he quotes CM Punk during his ROH heel turn during the first summer of Punk where he says, you know, yeah. uh, the greatest trick the devil ever put is making the world believe that he didn't, he never existed. Which is what CM Punk said when he turned heel. Yeah. And then CM Punk retorted on Rampage when he was getting taped up. He said, I'm better than you, which is both a reference to MGF's um, catchphrase yeah. and also a reference to the straight-edge society when he used to say, I'm better than you because I don't drink, I don't yeah. do drugs, you know. So it, it, it gives you a little bit of both. It's layered in its meaning. So there, there were word plays mm-hmm. on both promos, you know. This is a company that doesn't just deliver great promos. It delivers layers of greatness within each promo that calls back to history, that has nuance, that has wordplay. I mean, this is something that you don't see in pro wrestling, like ever. Yeah. Um, The enemy villain origin story is something that you don't see in pro wrestling ever and that's what MJF gave you. Yep. There's so much to love about this fucking feud. I'm in love with this story and I hope it never ends. What about you? What do you think about this match and what do you think about the story? Right now, I think we've just peaked. The story has just peaked. And, uh, just about peaks, yeah. right? Yeah. And so the combination of this is going to be insanity. I mean, from what we already have so far, um, mm-hmm. this is the top story right now in AEW. I mean, apart from the belt stuff and all that, I, I honestly think this is the A story. Yeah. Uh, and it has been nothing but giving us presence every week. When you watch Dynamite, when you watch the mm-hmm. pay per views, it's been presence after presence after presence. Like these guys are really spoiling us, mm-hmm. you know. And and and. This puts to bed anything about, you know, like returning superstars just folding it in because Punk is not folding it in, you know. His matches with Darby Allen with everyone, yeah. He's not folding it in, clearly. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing about AEW returning superstars. None of them fold it in. Like mm. uh, CM Punk, uh, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, uh, yeah. and even fucking Sting. Yeah, you know, yeah. none of them are fucking phoning it in, and all of them are giving it their all, and so this is awesome to see. I cannot wait to see how this culminates. Like the it the you not know, like the Wardlow storyline is insane. The MG, mm-hmm. what is MJF gonna do now? Like he's fucking abandoned left, right, and center. You know, like correct, yeah. And I think that that brings out the best in MJF. I feel I I feel we haven't even seen the best of MJF yet, and we're about to see it. Yes, you yeah. know, MJF is is going to try to steal the number one title shot, the face of the revolution. Yeah, thing. and I want to see how he from, does it. From Wattlow, and Wattlow was not accepted. It will lead to Wattlow getting fired, and then Tony Khan coming out and giving Wattlow an AEW contract. Like and, he, yeah. and then he finally gets the graphic. It leads to Wattlow versus MJF. Boom. And this 
leads to Punk's heel turn because think about it, Punk cheated to win. Yeah. He did. He, you know, his whole promo like on last Friday about becoming a monster to fight a monster. Yeah. You know, and and Punk bringing up his history, you know, about you know forcing alcohol down an alcoholic's throat, all the dastardly things he's done in the past. He, I, I took the ashes of a uh, legend's beloved manager and threw it in his face. You know, a reference to a reference to Paul Barrow and Undertaker oh and all God, that. You know. You know, like punk, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of shit. Like MJF is not wrong about punk being a piece of shit. Oh you know, and then you know the fact that he's had to corrupt himself to beat MJF. You know, that's the story here. And I would love if the story, if he kept the diamond ring, and a bit like Golem is corrupted by it. Oh no, that'd be great. You know, like he's corrupted by he, yes. he, 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 he doesn't want to use the diamond ring, but like in times of like desperation, he uses the diamond ring to cheat, like MJF does. You know. He he really does become the monster because he had to become a monster to beat MJF here. Yeah, I'm down. This this is the CM Punk heel thing. Yeah. Right? The, uh, you you get you get the corrupting ring also from Lord of the Rings. Everything is gonna be great. Um, I would love to see down the road where CM Punk becomes such a monster, such a fucking asshole that the roster in AEW has to turn to MJF to fight him. Yeah. He has to be like, oh, uh, you know, Punk is now the world champion. He's run rough shot, you know, or fuck this guy, whatever, you know. Who's the one guy that has ever getten, uh, gotten one up on him? Oh, it's MJF. We have to compromise with MJF, you know. You have to get him on our side. Then MJF will become the face. The quote-unquote face in that feud, like, a year or two down the road. Exactly. Where, yeah, where you have to rely on a past villain to beat the current villain. You know? It's, yeah, it's, that's what I want. Um... Or, or, or perhaps you see like a different road down. Like, what, what do you think is going to happen in the future? No, nah, I, you, you, you have phased it out beautifully. I think that's what I want now. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's let's call Tony Khan. Make sure he does that. Definitely. Um, next up, we have the AEW World Women's Title Match between Doctor Britt Baker DMD and Thunder Rosa, a continuation of their feud that started with the Lights Out match, a classic Lights Out match, uh, a year and a half ago. Um. The best part of this match was the new AEW Women's Title Belt. Boy, that new that Ooh, new cummerbund looks amazing. Don't you, don't you think? Yeah, a huge improvement, right, over their ugly ass old tiara belt. It, I mean, it's just the weight, the half of it. Like a championship belt just needs that, you know. It yeah. needs every. It needs to be as outrageous as possible. And I think this delivered it. Yeah, it looks like a legitimate title belt. Like when the TBS title looks better than your world championship, you got a problem. Yes, you know? exactly. So and, and this new world championship, it looks a bit like the the NWA belt or the old or the old WCW belt. You know, it was big, it's gold, it's studded. You know, correct. it looks hefty. It looks legitimate, la. Agreed. And yeah, brilliant. Um, that being said, though. I think Dr. Britt Baker, DMD versus Tenderosa did not deliver a good match. I thought this was slow and plodding. I thought there was some miscom here and there. I don't quite understand because like these two are pretty good wrestlers yep. and I think and I think the moment just got to them. I don't know. I, I, I don't no, think I this was a good match. Like, I told you that yeah. as we were watching. I feel like something's off with this match. Right? That's what I'd say, right? Like, I, yeah. think we, I think after 10 minutes in, I was like, there's something off about these two wrestlers today and like it threw me off just because of who was in the ring. Yep, like usually yep, yep. we guaranteed if you tell me Britt Baker and Dan Rosa like yeah that's guaranteed gonna be a good match so there was something mm-hmm. off uh, pacing issues I think there was um, but I guess okay lah I mean at the end of it um, you know um, how Britt Baker won was the way I expected it to go lah 
Yep. You yep. Know, exactly the way I thought it would go with the distraction, with the shenanigans, and yeah, the win. Yeah, I personally feel like Baker's constant reliance on her goons uh, interfering to win has become a bit tiresome. Um, it's it's gonna bite her in bit, the, the ass sooner. Um, it has already bitten her in the ass because the cheating finishes I feel are why Baker's title run has been so lackluster over the last six months. Mm. Like she doesn't feel like a legit champion, mm. um, and part of that is this lah. Uh, and I don't think I think Baker's title run has been the biggest disappointment that AEW has delivered over the last year. Okay, that's fair. It's been a, it's been a very underwhelming title run, and I feel like in ten days' time in San Antonio and Dynamite, they're gonna do another Britt Baker Thunder Rosa match, probably in a steel cage, you know, to to prevent interference or something like that. And Thunder Rosa will win the belt in her hometown. I think that's where it's leading to because I feel like Baker as world champion has gotten stale. I think in 10 days, Tanya Rosa is going to win it in her hometown for a massive pop. And I think that's where it's going. I'm down with that. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, do, do, do you think like Baker's title run has been stale or am I like uh, overstating You're not overstating it. it. I feel that it has <clears> lacked <throat> the pop that it began with. Like the, the, yep. the excitement at the beginning of a title run yeah. was slowly diminished uh, because of just the performances that were happening lah. Mm, um, I, I mean, it, it's the constant interferences. Like, it, it, it prevents you from enjoying like a straight one-on-one match, yeah. you know, between Baker or Riho, mm-hmm. or Baker and Rosa, stuff like that, you know? Like, uh, yeah, like, basically, they have done it too many times. We've seen this one. It becomes like a more one-trick pony thing already. Yeah, yep. I get I get what you're saying. Uh, Yeah, I feel that a title change will definitely be on the cards and will definitely refresh the entire... Uh, landscape of the woman's uh, roster. Because at the mm. moment, again, AW is on the verge of having a mediocre woman's roster. Yeah. Yeah. Just because their titles are being... Because, look, they're, they're developing Jade still. You know, so mm-hmm. that is not at its peak yet. And then on the other end, you have Britt Baker who has not been delivering great matches. So, again, your woman's division feels a bit like luster, lor. Absolutely, yeah. you know. Um, we're going to take some time out for the matches here to talk about some of the uh, the first debut of the night. Sure. Um, Tony Schiavone comes out there. Um, oh, yeah. Just, wa- just waving a clipboard that says in big bold font, <laughs> swerve so. on it before he announced the big surprise debut. Um, boy, of all the people I thought that was going to spoil Swerve's debut, I did not think Tony Schiavone would be the guy. Yeah. Uh, but then Tony, well, then whatever like he was going to debut in like a few seconds anyway, so okay lah. Um, Swerve, Shane Strickland comes out mm-hmm. to chance of whose house? Swerve's house. Um, I'm glad that the crowd knew it already. He's already over. Um, Swerve, as I said, is probably at that point lah when before before everyone left before the mass exodus. Swerve was the coolest part of NXT with Hit Row. Um, and Swerve has once again the chance to be the coolest part of AEW. Yeah. Um, Swerve has just this like innate, very different kind of character. He has almost a Travis Scott kind of vibe to him. Um, very new for wrestling, very different, very like Gen Z black wrestler. He's not like an Ahmed Johnson. He's not like a Rock or some guys yeah, like that. Yeah, he's, yeah. You know, he's just like a very like Gen Z trap guy. And I love that, you know, and he can carry the hero gimmick without hero. That's what Swerve is. Uh-huh. Um, he is so charismatic and I think the sky is the limit for, for Swerve. What do you think? What do you think about Swerve signing to AEW here? What a brilliant move. Come on. Yeah. Like yeah. He's going to kick ass. He's going to take names. And he's going to be in the title 
one of the title pictures soon enough lah. But either ROH or or maybe the TNT belt or something like that lah. They, yeah. they have a lot of titles. They have a lot of titles now. Yeah. And this guy is super charismatic, super highly skilled, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way that this guy is not going to be one of the top guys. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I can't wait to see what they do with him. I'm so excited just because, uh, you know, AW has proven us right a lot of the times when it comes to new talent and what mm-hmm. they do with them. So yeah, yeah. I'm 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 so excited for this. Um, I personally want him to join or form another black rap stable with Max Caster and uh Anthony Bowens. Oh no, that would be so great. Yeah, yeah. The new hit roll. The new hit roll. Yep. Which was the yep. best thing about uh the, the last days of NXT. Correct, yeah, yeah. But even that they got rid of. Uh, yeah, they did. They could have been the best thing about main roster WWE. Hell but yeah, but they got, yeah, they got rid of everybody. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine a hit roll versus the Usos, hit roll versus uh the New Day, especially like, the know? New Day, especially the New Day, the the contrasting yeah. um images of black men, you know, exactly like, you know, the nerdy black man versus the gangster trap guys, yeah, but, you know, yeah, that would that would have been so fantastic, but WWE can only book one feud at a time, and, and they don't know how to book black people. <laughs> If you're not The Rock, who is only partially black, by the way. Um, if you're not The Rock, do you have no idea how to block black people? Uh? <laughs> black people cannot be too articulate, you see. Later, they sound too smart. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, if if you don't know what Hardy is referencing, uh, Keith, Lee, uh, Keith Lee recently was on Talk with Jericho. Um, part of the reason he left was because of his conversations with Vince McMahon, <laughs> who gave him some notes on his promo style, uh, saying that Keith Lee sounds too intelligent, his delivery is too smart, um, he wanted Keefe to be angry and intense. Um, and if you don't understand or you choose to ignore the racial connotations on that, you must be living in a different era. You must be one of those Newsmax people. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Vince meant it the way it sounded. No, but I'm sure he didn't, but it just comes off so wrong. But in 2022, you have... You have to tell a black man like you sound too smart, and I want you to be angry and intense. You know, like like the other black men. Um, it sounds, it sounds wrong lah. It just I I don't think Vince meant it in a racial way, but it certainly came across to Keith Lee in a racial way, and I don't blame him for taking it that way lah yeah. because the undertones of racism is there like If it's not overt like it's not a Vince McMahon saying the N word to to Booker T on live TV. You know, it's not that. I mean, we are past that. We are past that already lah. But. Yeah. It hasn't, got, it hasn't gotten much better like, with the undertones of racism in the WWE. And that's why Keith Lee is so much better off in AEW. Like. Yeah. Boy, um, next up, we have uh, the prologue to yet another big debut. Uh, a straight-up war between Brian Danielson and John Moxley. Brian Danielson has been trying to recruit Moxley into his own little stable, into a two-man power trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Moxley says, before I join you, before we fight together, we got to bleed together. Oh, yeah. And boy, um, the ring crew after they replaced the the mat uh, after CM Punk and MGF had a lot to do again because Brian Danielson and John Moxley fulfilled their promise. They bled together in yet another hard hitting rugged match. What I loved about Revolution is that there were so many of this style of fights, you know, old school eighties NWA style fights, yep. you know. And Brian Danielson and John Moxley, I mean, all credit to all the previous matches, lah. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, a technical level, I think Danielson and Moxie are above the others. Mm-hmm. Um, this was technical savagery, is, is what this was. Oh, that's a good way um, of looking at it. Technical savagery. 
it it reminded me a bit of Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki. Yes. Um, I I I love Moxie's facial reactions every time Danielson kicked him. He's just like you know just this very small things like oh it's on now huh okay it's on now. Um, they they just pummeled each other. Um, leading up to a surprise finish where Brian Danielson was having so much fun mm-hmm. figuring out new ways to stretch John Moxie into a pretzel. You know oh this submission didn't work. He transitions to a different submission into a label lock into a into a knee bar into you know all sorts of things right. Brian Nelson was so focused on getting Moxie to tap that Moxie did a surprise roll-up, a surprise pinning combination, and beat Brian Danielson clean via wrestling, which is something that Danielson just could not have foreseen, uh, could not for, could not foresee, and neither could we. I I could not have foreseen John Moxie beating Brian Danielson with a wrestling move, you know, not a this deathmatch wrestler, right? Pulling out um a technical move to beat Brian Danielson in a moment of um Tunnel vision uh, for, for the latter. Exactly. Um, I thought this was a great hard-hitting match with a very nice finish. What do you think? I loved it because of the, the twist uh, at the end, right? Because yep. honestly, it would have been Moxie who had would, would suffer from the tunnel vision. You know, yeah. the kind of guy that he is. Mm-hmm. You'll most probably be the one like, not letting go and all that. And so when it happened to uh, Danielson... It was kind of beautiful because that was how far Moxie had taken him in the match. And it's it's also the arrogance of Danielson believing that no one can beat him in yeah. the grappling match. Though. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like he 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 left himself wide open to the pin there because he was so focused on, on submissions, you know. Exactly. So yeah. um good for Moxie, good for this feud, but I think like um uh, this was perhaps my favorite match of the night. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, can. I mean, uh, it's arguable that like, there are three or four best matches of the night. Yeah. I mean, I love... For, for different reasons. Yeah, for different yeah. reasons. Like, CM Punk and, 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 and MJF was... That story was impeccable. You know? Yeah. The the tag triple threat match. You know, Young Bucks, uh, Red Dragon, yeah. Express can be up there. Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho yeah. can be up there. Danielson and Mox can be up there. And certainly, the main event can be up there too. Yeah. Um, Which are good. So, we haven't even know, talked about yet. Like it's arguable, yeah. It's it's rare to find a pay per view like three or four best matches, uh, and and this delivered on all counts. But... Yeah, but this was a point in time when I was a bit tired. Of course, of course, yeah. yeah it's a long pay per view, you know, which is why I said that one or two matches could have been shifted to a rampage or a dynamite. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But well, yeah. I mean, I love this. I love that Brian was just so shocked and appalled, and then they kept fighting after that. Yeah. Like, security uh... came out. You know, security got beaten up. Yeah, like two brothers that were just like in a fever pitch and refused to just let go. Yeah. Um, and then their old NXT beta, NXT 0.5 daddy, William Regal, came out uh, to separate them and just slap some sense into both Moxley and Danielson. Yep. Uh, boy, uh, William Regal is like no other authority figure that has ever been presented <laughs> in pro wrestling. William Regal is believable as a guy that can intimidate people and break them up. Yeah. You can you can send 20 security guys and you know um guys like uh Karen Cross and Samoa Joe or whatever sure. are just gonna beat people up, you know. But when William Regal steps in the middle of you two, you know, this this old school tough man, right? Yep. The wrestlers will think twice, you know. And and it's not just because William Regal is tough, it's because they command he commands a level of respect from the wrestlers because mm-hmm. he was once like them. He was one of those guys. Uh he, was an OG. he comes out He's a goddamn OG, yeah. you know, and he can he can for sure knock your blocks off and submit you if he wanted to. You know, he looks like still a legit guy. You know? He looks tough. Uh, he separates Moxie and 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 Brian Danielson, slaps them, forces them to shake hands, yeah. and they did. And they did. And I and I think he's going to be the manager for Brian's 
stable. Yeah, I think what do so. you think? I think so. I mean, I mean, I mean, firstly, like, how much did you pop for like William Regal debuting, and and what do you think he is his role? I mean, I got AW? sadly spoiled for it, but I still popped. I was like, let's go, it's Regal, and you know, yeah. him coming out was just great. I mean, I'm glad that uh, AW signed him. Brilliant yep. move, I think. Um, his time in NXT was done. I mean, he did everything. NXT was as much a success because of Regal. As yeah. much as Triple H, you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing, lah. So him bringing he bringing his brain and his talent over to AEW is a coup. Mm-hmm. It's a major coup. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and and if he's gonna be the guy that leads uh and that manages the the new stable that Daniel Bryanson is envisioning, holy yeah. shit! There is a lot of uh great stories that can be built from that. Absolutely. If if that's not the case, if let's say he's not your manager. If let's say he becomes the general manager of our H, um, let's fucking and, go. And they build um what is essentially NXT 1.0 yet again. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind because you know I think I I think Tony Khan wants to do NXT with our H. Yeah. Uh, I mean William Regal is there. Um, Cody can come back to become the new Triple H. Why the fuck not, right? Exactly, and um, what a blessing! Like uh, for for Tony Khan, you know, get, actually getting uh, ROH. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it opens so many avenues and stories. I mean, we'll talk about it more later on, lah. Uh, yep, yep. But yeah, Rillian Regal's debut, great. I mean, this is the second debut of the night. I think that's the only two debuts actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yep. I tricked you by the way. I I purposely said there were more than two debuts just so to throw you off. Oh, oh, but there is one more debut. Uh, Jen Mahal is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's uh he's leading ROH India oh. for for the expansion. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck lah. <laughs> he's Canadian lah. Uh no no according to KFIP he's Indian. <laughs> okay. So so is Veer by the way who has not come. Okay to be fair Veer is really Indian. Correct yeah yeah that's true lah but Veer has not come lah despite uh what is it now let me let me quickly Google this. seven months of Veer is coming Veer has not come yet William Regal has managed to quit. And join AEW in the middle of Veer is coming. Uh, Regal has come before Veer. Mm-hmm. Veer uh, really got stamina. He just refuses to come. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, oh after this match, I don't know. I don't know if you if you follow like uh, Pete Dunn on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but during the initial NXT NXT UK tournament, you know the one where Tyler Bate won. Yeah. Um, the first NXT UK tournament, uh, Pete Dunn was just beating up all his opponents after the match, breaking fingers, breaking arms, destroying people. You know. Yeah. Um, all the way throughout the NXT UK tournament, uh, to the point where he was racking so much havoc that when he went through the gorilla position, uh, suddenly the camera pans up to William Regal, and William Regal just takes him by the scruff of the neck and pins him against the wall and says, "Stop!" And then Pete then really did stop, la. So he posted a he posted a gif of that moment, and then he tags uh, Moxie and Brian Danielson, and he says, "Yeah, it ha- it happened to all of us." <laughs> when William Regal says, "Stop!" You stop. You stop. <laughs> Yeah, that was fantastic. I loved it. it I loved it. Uh, if, if only William Regal was just camped out by the NXT car park, all those kidnappings would not have happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like the most dangerous place in Florida. I know, yeah. That, that's why they don't do things backstage, you know? It only happens in a parking lot because William Regal is not there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up, we have a surprisingly fun Tornado 6-man tag. I thought this was going to be a cool-down match. 
God damn it. There's so many things here that got me hyped. W. Allen, Sammy Guevara and Sting mm-hmm. versus the AHFO. Mm-hmm. Supposedly only Andrade, Isaiah Cassidy and Matt Hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everyone in the AHFO got involved. Yeah. Private party, both private members of private yep. party, Mark Quinn got in yep. there. Who's the assistant was taking fucking bumps yep. uh, out there, you know. Butcher and the Blade came out and everyone. So it, this was essentially a seven on three match. Um, I was like, guys, this it, is supposed to be a cool down. Oh, there was no cooling down here, man. They just they, this was fucking no psychology balls mm. to the wall. Uh, people jumping off bal- sixty-two year old people jumping off balconies. Um, Sammy Guevara delivering a Spanish fly off a balcony onto two tables, which I think legitimately knocked out Isaiah Castillo. By the way, yeah. um, Jose the assistant was covered in a trash can and just got one of the you know. Darby Allen's uh, Topi Sosidas are fucking bullets, you know, mm-hmm. and he just took that like straight to the body. Um, and it's amazing that Darby landed on his uh, feet after that. It was crazy. Um, it would they brought all over the arena. There were so many crazy it spots was. here, and I mean the Spanish fly is not even the craziest spot. It's it was not. a sixty-two-year-old thing. Yeah, jumping and through all nine tables. All the stuff they did here was mind-boggling. This felt like old-school ECW. What, what, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think I. Oh my god, it was just beautiful. It was, it was supposed to be a cooldown match. I was, I was like going to like take a pee or something. And I had to pause to take a pee, lah. But anyway, you know what I mean. Yeah, it was yeah, that yeah. feeling that like, oh my god, I can't miss this. And yeah. uh, damn, there were so many moments. Yeah, Sting's moment I think was the best, um, just mm-hmm. because of his age. Uh, you know, north of sixty. Um, uh, as a but the Spanish like, fly off, but the Spanish fly off the balcony onto oh, the, the tables. tables. Oh in, my god, that was uh, Guevara and Cassidy, I think. Uh, yeah, it was Guerrero and Cassidy. Yeah, yeah. that was Guevara and Cassidy. Yeah, that was beautifully done. Oh my god, like mm-hmm. that was basically me. It was just me saying, "Oh my god," a lot of times. Yep. Like I was, so many fun moments. Like I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. Yeah, a lot of people can complain that it's like overbooked or whatever lah. But mm-hmm. honestly, when you are the match that was supposed to be a cooldown match between two great matches, mm-hmm. go all out lah. You know. Yeah, yeah. I actually feel, right, like, I enjoyed this match so much, right, but wouldn't this have been given more time and more room to breathe if this was the Dynamite main event? Oh, uh, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, because I think, like, you know, you, you could have cut down easily 30 minutes to 45 minutes when you see a movie, and Agreed. I think this is one of, the ma- one of the matches they could have cut yes. if they wanted to. Yes, I mean, I'm not saying it was a bad match, no, or no, I had no, so no, much no, fun no. with this, but... I think the I think the one consistent complaint we've had with AEW pay per views, which we have loved mm-hmm. all from the beginning, I th- I think they've never delivered a bad pay per view. It's just that they've been a bit too long. Overbook. Yeah, and they could have like three or four less matches, and some matches could have been main event next Wednesday or next Friday, yeah. and this is one this is one of those as well. Yeah, and that's the thing that I feel that AEW will slowly figure out. Also, like your pay per views are that too long right now. Like if you mm-hmm. just cut these three matches, it'll be a perfect pay per view. Yeah, I'm not saying that they, they need to deliver like four match pay-per-views like takeovers. Like, takeovers used to be four or five yeah, matches, right? Yeah, but that's right? different. Yeah. But why not eight matches? I think eight matches is fine. Like, I think like 11 to 12 matches is too much. Yeah, yeah. I'm also tired. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but in any case, um, no matter how tired you are, no matter how long the pay-per-view was, there is no way you couldn't get hyped for the main events because the Adams delivered a fucking barn burner bagger um, and an NXT 1.0 styled match. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like, I love the variety. You know, you got the fucking ECW spot fest. Mm-hmm. You got the ladder match. You got the brutal hockey fights between you know um, Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho and Brian Daniels and John Moxley and all of that. And then you got the the classic indie NXT 1.0 yep. ROH style match between 
uh, Hangman Page and Adam Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, before I even get into the match, Adam Cole coming out to Halo Gear, uh, it's a bit unintentionally funny. It is because, because he's I, tiny. Because he's so small, it made Adam Cole look smaller yes, than he is. Because you know the, the Master Chief is like a huge motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, and Adam Cole it doesn't need to call attention to how small yeah, he is. Yeah, and this kind of call attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Ay, yo. Um, I love Hyman Page coming out to the Rainbow Tassels. Ah, yeah, um, me too. Uh, representing the LGBTQI community mm-hmm. in Florida, which recently passed the the Say No Gay law. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever, but you know, it was a very subtle thing, just showing support. Yeah. The match itself, though, what popped me the most, before I even get into the match, right, what popped me the most was the fucking crowd that was just having yes. so much fun in this match. They were like, let's um, go Adam. <laughs> but let's go Adam Chan started it, and then it evolved into dueling chance to let's go Adam and Adam sucks. <laughs> yeah. And you don't know, I mean, that, that's the beauty of it. You don't know who they're, they're, they're chanting for. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go, Adam. Adam sucks. Let's go, Adam. And then it evolved again. Uh, they, they delivered a fight forever chant, which became fight for Adam. Uh, and they, they just had so much fun uh, with the Adam chants. Uh. Um, loved it so much. Uh, match itself, though, like I said, it was an XT 1.0 takeover mini event style match, mm-hmm. uh, of, of which you know, Adam Cole has been part of many. Yep. Uh, but also, Adam Cole has been part of many ROH mini event style match against Adam Page himself. himself so, these two clearly have a lot of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they sold me on four, five, six different false finishes. Uh, the sequencing in this was incredible. The precision was incredible. Yeah. The choreography was incredible. Yeah, the chemistry yeah. was incredible. Um, sure, you could say that it was one of those like super kick parties that the elite mm-hmm. uh, loves to give. But when the super kicks are this precise and so well delivered yes. and so perfectly timed, Boy, I mean, I can't, I can't fault it, lah. Like, everything, everything from the dead eyes to the Panama sunrises, yeah. to buckshot Larry, all the moments hit for me and sold me a Correct. bill of goods. Man, what, what, what do you think? <coughs> this was my pers- This was my personal favorite match. Ah, uh, yes. So I, I couldn't be more hyped. Like I thought, I, I was hyped up for the night, really. You know, and this really brought it to another level. Uh, yeah. I had no issues with the, 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 the super kicks just because there were always mm-hmm. a reason for it. Or, or yeah. it led to another crazy sequence that also had a reason to exist, you know? <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Of a, of a discus elbow to pump kicks exchange between the two. When Hangman Page uh, tried to do a moonsault and then got super kicked in the face. Exactly. What perfect timing. You know? Yeah, yeah uh, inc- you know? incredible. And, um, how they tried to cut each other off from finishing their, 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 their main, what do you call it? Their finishers and all that. Great stuff. Um, yeah. I liked how there was barely any interference like even though the people did come out Red, um, Red Dragon tried to interfere but uh, Dark Order came yeah, out exactly. uh, to prevent the interference uh, and this is they've addressed the one complaint that I've had about Hangman Page is that why does he keep getting outnumbered Dark Order has like fucking 79 million members yeah. like he, Hangman Page Hangman Page can easily outnumber any faction that goes up against him <laughs> yeah there literally was like double the amount of people that came out for him no, more than that, like, triple actually. Like, even if Kenny Omega and the Bucks were there, like, even if Don Callis was there and everyone, they would still be double or triple, they would still be outnumbered double or triple but times. Dark Order, yeah. Dark Order has like, has a, I mean, yeah, 79 million is a lot, but they legit have like 10 to, 10 to 12 members, you know. It's a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> they could actually like freaking like lumberjack this match if they wanted to, you know. If, if they wanted to, exactly, you know. So why does Simon Page keep getting like, <laughs> That's the- like, 
you know, like that damn numbers game. Like he keep, he keeps getting beat down by Red Dragon. Like where is Dark Order? Here they are, and they finally came through for him. You know? Yeah, and even then he was kind of pissed that he came. Yeah, yeah. Like he actually pushed them into, uh, into Red Dragon. Red Dragon. Like he was um, a cause sparking, of them fighting. Sparking the brawler. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that was interesting. Um, but yeah, so because even with that kind of interference, it didn't matter because it didn't take away from the match itself. And you know, yeah, the way that yeah. like Britt Baker and her interference actually took away from the match. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So this this again showcased uh wow, these two guys are just powerhouses. Like Paige is a deserving champion. He has been proving it uh with his mm-hmm. defenses so far. Uh mm-hmm. and Cole was the number one contender. You can tell from just how close he got. Uh, mm, and his eleven and his eleven and zero record, like, he's clearly the number one contender in kayfabe, in rankings, yeah, in everything, in, everything. Like, in terms of in terms of name value as well. Yeah, and also um, how he performed in this match, you know. Absolutely, I mean, like, but I had no doubts that Adam Cole performed. Hell like. yes, of course, nobody has any doubts when Adam Cole is in the match. Um, yes, and, and I think I think the time has passed for you to doubt Hellman Page. Like, when yes. when will you when will you stop doubting Hellman Page? How many five star matches does he have to deliver uh, for you to yeah. stop doubting him? He's at that level. Yeah. He's already at the level of the Kenny Omegas and the uh, you know, uh, the AJ Styles and the Ke- uh, Okadas. You know. Um, let's look at Hangman Page's title reign. Um, when he won it against Kenny Omega, was that not a five star match? Was. Uh, his two classics with Brian Danielson were they not five star matches? Five star matches, man. Uh, but Texas death match against Lance Archer Ooh, was that not a five star match? That was an match? insane match. That was a five star. Well, he he delivered a buckshot lariat off a referee exactly. when the ropes were cut down. You know. Uh, and this match with Adam Cole, like, how when when will you stop doubting Hangman Page? I have stopped long time I also, ago. I but there, I don't there, know. I still see on Twitter it's like, oh, Hangman Page is not really the top guy. I mean, come on. Come on. Dude, like, how many uh, he has closed yeah, so many pay-per-views with great matches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I, I don't see what else he can do. IWC no, sometimes is just weird, you know? Yeah. You can yeah. never please them. Yeah, it's bizarre, yeah. you know. Um, the, the closing sequences in this match, boy, at, at several moments, I legit thought they were going to switch the belt. Yes, agreed. But... but Panama Sunrise and then the boom. Oh my uh, god, yes. Uh, but then like, you know, I love that Excalibur experience. He didn't take he off didn't his... Lower, yeah, he did lower his pad. Yeah. God damn. Then I love that when Hammond Page also did the boom, uh, he, it wasn't his finisher, so he still had to do the buckshot lariat at the end. He was smart enough to do exactly. that. Exactly. Like, all the moments in this thing made sense. Um, Yeah, maybe a bit... Maybe one or two too many false finishes, but in the end, I don't mind. Neither did I. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah, I kind of ranted about this match. Give me your thoughts. Um, no, I, I, I was, I was in it throughout the entire thing. Like, even though I was hell of a tired right now, okay, like my my whole body was just like on the verge of giving up already, in terms of sleepy and all that. But this match pulled me out of that 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 stupor, you know, and yep. I was like, let's freaking go. Um. I didn't doubt a single minute that this match was going to deliver. It delivered everything that I wanted from a main championship match. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really had fun with the back and forth. The, the last 15 minutes, I think the sequences were just on point. Mm. A 15-minute closing sequence yeah. that had me on Peter Hooks. I thought like at any moment yeah. it could have ended. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that was brilliantly done. Um, mm. Yeah, you can say it's a tad... Uh, yeah, like a bit uh, too too many uh false finishes, but I think it doesn't matter just because of the action that was given. 
Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a complaint slash uh it's a complaint a slash celebration. Yeah. A nitpick like that we've had frequently with NXT main events, right? Yeah, exactly. Like how many times can Johnny Gagano kick out from the Eric Crash or whatever? You know, <laughs> yeah. like that. And, and and particularly Johnny Gagano says Adam Cole was a victim of this type of thing too. So. Yeah. But I hadn't seen this type of match in so long because NXT 2.0 is different. Doesn't have is different. That I kind of missed it and I love seeing it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. so again, uh, this was a top. This is another five star match from yours truly, um, Adam Page, uh, mm-hmm. and again another five star match for Adam Cole. So whatever lah, that's exactly uh, what I expected. Where do you see these two going from here? I think Adam Cole is quite obvious, like the Elite Civil War is it's his, his next step, yeah. right? Um, who is the next challenger for Adam Page? You think? Uh, well, that would depend on the oh. I don't really depends, right? Because isn't Wardo number one contender? No, for the TNT Championship. Oh, that's the, TNT. That's the revolution. Oh no! Yeah. Wait, who else is number one? I mean, we need to see the record, lah. I mean, I I sure. feel that even though there might not be a clear indicator of where he goes, mm-hmm. all AW needs to do is just look at the record lah, and see who's the best, lah. I think two options: if they want a transitional feud until the time is right, they could do Miro. Miro comes back. Um, he gets, you know, five or six squashes on Rampage Dynamite and Dark. You know, he's number one contender again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes on Adam, uh, Adam Hangman Page for like, you know, a brief one, two month feud. His next eventual real feud will be CM Punk, I think. Yeah, but once CM Punk gets entangled, untangled from the whole MJF story, obviously. Yeah, that's why I said like, oh, we can give him Miro for yeah, one yeah, month. Yeah. So and transitional then... using Miro and then CM Punk. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is when CM Punk turns heel against a guy that the crowd loves. Hangman then Page. can I ask, what do you think about uh, this whole faction, that's, this uh, supposed faction that's going to be built by Brian, Brian Danielson? Where do you see that faction going? Yeah, they have a couple of things. That faction with John Moxley, they're going to start recruiting. Number one, their first feud is going to be against 2.0 and Daniel Garcia because Obviously. they want Daniel Garcia next. Yeah. That, that will go on for, you know, about a month. They recruit Daniel Garcia. Then they're going to go after best friends because they want Wheeler Utah. That is their next feud. So that's four or five months settled already. Hmm. Yeah. Um, 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. Uh, and then best friends. Uh, and then Nightmare Family because they want Lee, Lee Moriarty as well. And after all this, right? Mm. What's next? Like, you know what I mean? Like after they, they have done... Because this is the recruitment phase they're talking about, right? But that's like a good six to eight months of story. No, I know, like, I know. But sh- once you, you have sh- done, you have recruited the best of the best, right? You're, you're the faction, the dream faction that you're recruiting. Then mm-hmm. is it like, you know, then from there you can do like tag team stuff, you can do uh, singles championship runs, that kind of thing, right? They can go into many, many different directions. Yes, they can even kind of branch off into um, an ROH uh, branch of this faction and an AEW branch of this faction. Like a lost single have- list. Yeah, you could have like uh, Daniel Garcia like uh, competing for the pure championship, Lee Moriarty and all of that, you know, over in ROH. And then you can have like the main eventers like Moxley and uh, Danielson representing on the AEW side. Huh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you know, I could see Brian going for the TNT championship in uh, after this, you know, like end of the year him versus whoever the TNT champion is. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see, uh, yeah, I could easily see that, you know, and then eventually Moxie is going to break off and then we'll do the second Moxie versus Brian Danielson mm-hmm. feud. That's the next year of stories, really. Yeah. And it'll be a beautiful story. Yes, and Brian particularly does not need a belt. 
I think. I don't think he needs to be competing with Hangman Page and all that. I, no, no, no. I think Brian, really Brian, Danielson, Brian Danielson himself is a belt. Like, getting to fight him is like fighting for a belt. Now, what box is it? Yeah, yeah. Like, beating that Brian Danielson is like winning a championship. In, in fact, it's probably more prestigious than winning any championship. Yeah, yeah because right now, AEW's championship doesn't have the pedigree that comes with beating <laughs> Daniel Bryan. Yeah, you know, for, former unified world champion, ROH champion, pure champion, exactly. champion everywhere. Exactly. Like, you know, Brian Danielson is a fucking legend. Uh. There should be the Brian Danielson championship. Yeah, and just fighting him. Oh, by the way, you know, like the year-end like Wrestling Observer Awards, sure. right? Uh, has uh, since 2002, has had the Brian Danielson Award to, to give to the most uh, technical wrestler of the year. Um, for the last seven years, right, the Brian Danielson Award has gone to Zack Sabre Jr. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and then for the first time in seven years, Brian Danielson has finally once again won the Brian Danielson Award last year. Um, so I'm glad to see that the Brian Danielson Award has gone back to Brian Danielson. Uh, but if you want to do some sort of super card, you know, uh, since they own All Out again, mm-hmm. why not do Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr.? Ooh. Why not then recruit oh Zack Sabre Jr.? Because Zack Sabre Jr. Re- is like um, is like those kind of guys that he's like the uh, the generation after Daniel Bryan. Correct, yeah. Why not do Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr.? Recruit Zack Sabre Jr. and then have like an NJPW uh, branch of, the, of his faction as well. Oh my fuck. Why not do Brian versus Shibuta as well in a grappling match? Shibata, I'm sorry. No, you're, you're doing the thing again. You're doing the thing again. Yeah, why not? I mean, Shibata, I know he can't do like no, but he can, anymore. Yeah, but, but he can still like, like a pure style match with Brian Danielson. Like, who wouldn't want to see that? Oh like, he can also he can also represent that faction in, in Japan, you know? Oh my god. Like, call them like the Submission Dragons or something like. Oh my god, the Forbidden Door is open. It is. It truly is. And now that they have all out, and all out should be used as a supercut involving all the all, all the promotions whose forbidden doors are open. You know what? Yeah, Even yeah, WWE exactly. should come in on it. Yeah, they won't. They won't but okay, but yeah, 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 yeah. I don't see a uh, Roman Reigns versus Brian Danielson again. Ooh, uh, but yeah. Anyways, uh, so how would you rate uh AEW Revolution? Uh four point five out of five. Uh, it's an A grade, like. Hell yeah, A grade. Yeah, it's an A grade for me as well. Yeah. Easy A. My, my goodness, an Easy A, which is also a great movie starring mm-hmm. Emma Stone, yeah, which you I should like. watch. Uh, yeah, um, it's an adaptation of Scarlet Letter, which is yep. also a great book, which you should, you should read. read. Uh, yes, <laughs> that has been it for our literature uh, review. Uh, next up, let's talk about Tony Khan dropping the bombshell, something that we kind of figured yeah. out already like, from the speculations mm-hmm. and all that. But Tony Khan has purchased Ring of Honor. It's important to note that AEW is not absorbing Ring of Honor. Tony Khan owns Ring of Honor. Yeah, they, yeah. These, he's going to keep running it as a separate sister promotion to mm-hmm. AEW. Perhaps as a feeder league. Perhaps as an NXT. Um, what do you think Tony Khan does with ROH? Honestly, the possibilities are limitless. Okay? He can do whatever the fuck he wants since he owns it. This is not like... And, and he, he, has, he can learn from the mistakes of, you know, when WWE purchased WCW. Yep, you know yep. all those mistakes that that happened with with that uh, that buying. Uh, uh, Tony Khan, Tony Khan saying on the mic that Shane's not here is hilarious. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> exactly why I, I brought that up. Um, yeah, and so to use ROH, which has a brand name that I mean, apart from the couple of the past few years, 
the yep. brand name of ROH has always been great wrestling prospects. Mm-hmm. Like all the great wrestlers came from ROH. Yep. You know, and and so I feel that rebuilding that would be a number one uh, priority. Lah. Therefore, mm-hmm. a more developmental, a more um uh a, a sister promotion, but where the focus is on developing developing the next the next wrestling superstars. Lah. Which I mean to be honest, which ROH has always been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. the past few years have been a bit it's been a bit off in its course because they were just basically poached to, you know, relentlessly and with the opening mm-hmm. of AEW and all that, like they really had no talent left. You know? Absolutely, and then the Me Too oh. thing that, that that swept across the wrestling world as well, mm-hmm. you know, took out so many more talent, you know. So like they were just they were just uh, in a drought lah, basically. Yeah, I mean, we say drought, but they still have... I mean, now with the purchase of ROH, they get their champions. Um, yeah, they do. Rouge, Bandido, mm. Jonathan Gresham, mm-hmm. Diara Perazzo mm-hmm. are all great champions that ROH has mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. currently. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they, could, they could easily be the, the four pillars of ROH. Um, Tony Khan's ROH. You bring over people like Serena Deep and all that. Serena Deep, by the way, is another person that should join uh, Brian Anderson's table. Yes. Um, and Diana Perazzo fits in there as well. You know, Jonathan Gresham fits in there as well. You know, the current PR champion. Um, he is so fucking good. They have so many guys, and all those guys who are stuck on dark, who are stuck on elevation. Um, I think close down either dark or elevation and bring them over to ROH. Yeah, to basically like just mid- merge all that together. To, to be their mid card, yeah. I think like uh, the dark and elevation guys can be ROH's mid card. Yeah, so know? let me and, and... let me just quote Tony. Uh, so mm-hmm. he says that I'm going to be the booker, and there's a reason for that because I'll be bringing young wrestlers, and they have a lot of young wrestlers, and I think we are very successful here, and we're doing very well here. There should be yep. a ring of honor, and I think I've got the resources to present a better version than anybody else can. Of course, yeah. you know, and suddenly, right, suddenly, like, um, ROH's return in April, which was announced last year already, the Supercard of Honor show on WrestleMania weekend, suddenly it becomes a must-watch show. Yeah. Suddenly, Supercard of Honor becomes, like, something that I just want to see. Are they going to do Gresham versus Danielson or something? I hope so. Because they can, if they wanted to. Yeah. Like, what better way to kick off the new era of um, Supercard of Honor of ROH than with a real Supercard featuring NJPW stars, AEW stars, whatever. Lah. Exactly. And also, don't forget, one well, of the most important things about buying a wrestling company is its video yeah. library. Yes, now they have so much content yep. uh, to sell to HBO Max if they wanted to. Yep. Um, they can combine it, you know, AEW and ROH content, they can sell to um, HBO Max. Mm-hmm. They now own the footage from All Out, which is hilarious because AEW doesn't own the footage from All Out, ROH did. So, they can use that finally. Um, they can finally bring back All Out. You know, um, yeah. as a, a legit supercard in the in the mid year during the summer, yeah. where they once again invite ROH people and JPW people, yeah. NWA people, and all that to, to make one legit supercard. It's so exciting. The prospects exactly. are endless. I'm just yeah. worried about what his what were the fine print that he had with Sinclair. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I mean, maybe it does hamstrung him a bit here and there, but I don't think so. I mean, we'll see, because like, apparently the the assets of ROH are still being transferred over like it's it's being it's going to be a uh, it's not going to be a quick process like you know there's a lot of things that needs to be transferred over like. of course yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, like a, a, a transfer of this size will take a few months yeah, like. and Tony um, Khan knows how hard it is to you know build a, I mean not like he's building it from scratch like, but you mm-hmm. know he knows the, the processes and all that to, to, to resurrect a whole brand that's going to be mm-hmm. interesting 
like remember like when Danielson and Adam Cole announced Swerve is here and everything, we were a bit worried that uh AW's roster is a bit bloated. Yeah. Uh is with, with two promotions it's not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. They just have they have the perfect size for two promotions <laughs> exactly. right now. Exactly. Yeah, you know? and they they can uh, hire more people if they wanted to right now, man, because ROH really requires it. I mean if especially when it comes to young wrestlers. Um Johnny Gagano is out there still. Booms. There you uh, go. Johnny Gugano would be a great ROH champion. Johnny Gugano versus Rouge. Oh my god, oh, team match right there. For for the ROH title, whoa, that would be Rouge great. Rouge is you know, super um, underrated, by the way. Um, both of their, both of ROH's Rouge's, uh, Rouge and Bandido are very underrated. underrated. Yeah. Because you don't watch uh, Triple A, you don't watch all this kind of like lucha heavy stuff, right? So we don't really know, I mean, apart from Lula. Um, Rouge is from CMN. Oh, sorry, so sorry, yeah, just goes to, so yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, you proved your point exactly. that you really don't watch yeah. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, Rouge and Bandido versus any of these guys, you could um Bray Wyatt is still out there. Exactly. I mean he'll be great on ROH. Yeah, yeah, he could uh, he he could, you know, do his whole uh, whatever new gimmick that whatever Bray Wyatt comes wants, up yeah. with. Yeah. Let him go. Whatever. You know? what, whatever he wants, yeah. Um I'm so excited to see Supercard of Honor. We will be reviewing that um alongside WrestleMania 38. And I have a feeling that we'll talk more about our hit Supercard of Honor than WrestleMania 38 that week. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, I am boy. not excited at all. I mean, okay, like, good for Ricochet that he's the IC champ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think they're going to do Diano Perazzo versus Serena Deep uh, at Supercard of Honor for the ROH Women's Championship. And boy, that's going to be one hell of a grapple fuck. You know? It's going to be great. Um... Yeah, let's delve into some of the miscellaneous topics that have... Sure. Um, uh, uh, unless you have any last thoughts about ROH? Uh, I'm just excited for it, that's all. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's move on to Kane Velasquez getting arrested for attempted murder. Yeah. Um, if you had this on your 2022 bingo card, I don't believe you. Nobody, nobody saw this coming. Saw this coming. Um, so apparently, one of Kane Velasquez's relatives has been repeatedly molested by, by a certain person. man. By this man, um, over a hundred times apparently, yep. according to the, uh, the records. Yeah. So, so I can imagine the rage and the fury that Kane Velasquez yeah. uh, felt. Um, I'm not necessarily blaming him for trying to shoot him, nope. because you know who knows. Like I might have done the same thing in his position. Anybody I would mean, have done the same thing yeah, in his position. Exactly. I mean, a loved one is being traumatized on a day-to-day basis. Yes. You know? Yes. But at the same time, um, can I condone Kim Blasker shoot, um, shooting into a car of three people? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the end, the guy who got shot was not the guy who molested the relative. Right? Of the guy? Yes, the, st- the stepfather. So he shot an innocent man. Um, so this whole... Okay, I, I have utmost sympathy for Kim Blasker, as I already said. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think I would have done what he, what he would have done as well. You know? mm-hmm. I... I yeah, I, I think it's totally justifiable, but I don't think it's justifiable that he shoot a car full of two innocent people, including um without including the perpetrator. There were two innocent people in a car. And the guy he sh- ended, ended up getting shot was an innocent person. So this whole free Kane Velasquez, free Kane campaign, to me is a bit misguided because I think Kane should be punished for shooting a guy that had no like that had no relation to this whole thing. Yeah. You know? He Keep in mind, an innocent man was shot. Yes, I understand like I mean, how he was feeling. I, I feel that um, there should be some leniency just to account for what was happening. Like, I feel that this was more of a rage fuel, passion fueled kind of... Uh, it's not premeditated to that extent. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, premeditated to an extent where he went down and chased the fucker for 11 miles in his car. Lah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, but in the end, you know, he still shot the wrong guy. He did shoot shouldn't the wrong guy. Be, shouldn't, like, I, I'm not even talking about the vigilantism and, and all that. I'm talking about he shot the wrong guy. Shouldn't he be in jail for at least a while? Like, some sort of punishment for that? I mean, definitely needs some punishment. I mean, just, like, 20 years is a bit long, lah, you know what I mean? No lah, yeah lah. That's the attempted murder charge lah. But some sort of aggravated assault or assault with a deadly yeah. weapon. Yeah. Like even if it's a, I I feel that maybe a fine with a like a, a because nobody died, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I I still think shooting shooting a guy is more than a fine. La. I mean a fine with maybe a minimal jail time lah. You know, like maybe six weeks lah. <laughs> sure. One month lah. You know. Like I don't know, man. I don't know, man. <laughs> I know, but it's so hard to. I think it's because of our like love for first Kane as a person uh, and mm-hmm. a fighter, a wrestler, you know, like he's entertained us so much over the years. Uh, he was mm-hmm. one of those like heavyweights that had stamina, you know, in mm-hmm. the UFC and uh, and who could, gra- who could grapple and stuff properly. Yeah, he's the NCAA champion. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then you had also, you know, his uh, stint in... in um, I wouldn't say the WWE one. I would be, I'll be, I'm more impressed with his uh, triple A, A uh, wrestling credentials, lah. You know, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know he's he's one of those like Mexicans that can't speak Mexican, Spanish, uh, Spanish, <laughs> yeah. Spanish. But like you know, like but he loves the country so much and all that stuff. Like he's done so much good, and I feel like this was just a those kind of like miss, um, how you say it's just a sad situation that was made sadder mm. uh, mm-hmm. in the part that Cain Velasquez might now lose his freedom. Lah. Uh, and I think yeah. rightfully so because, you know, he did do a crime, you know. Um, not just a crime. I thought, I think the crime is excusable, but I think the recklessness. The recklessness, which, yeah. That was something that the judge brought up also. He said that, that you know, he said, well, Yeah, because he was reckless, right? He was yeah. because it was a high-speed chase. You're shooting off multiple rounds. If, let's say, let's say it didn't hit the car intended but hit a car behind or hit a car across mm. you know or a bystander, a bystander on the street didn't yeah. re- wasn't or just in the wrong place the wrong time you know in essence the, the stepfather was a bystander like, like he was in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah but he tried to, to, to run away with his, his his molester of a son so you know fuck mm-hmm. that <laughs> but I, I mean know, if I know. a guy's ca- He's not, coming at you for gun I understand yeah. I know I know I, I, I'm yeah. just being a bit uh, you know argumentative for no reason lah but yeah, mm. like, I agree that he should be punished. There should be some punishment just because there was a crime in terms of the recklessness and all that. Uh, yeah. But I really hope that the guy who, 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 the molester himself, I hope the whole hammer of the law really falls on him. Yeah, and, I, I, I hope that happens. Um, similarly, I, I, I hope that the, I hope that the molester gets punished, of course, like the rule of law. I hope that yeah. too. But I also hope that Cain Velasquez doesn't get away scot-free because I don't agree with the Cain Velasquez did nothing wrong he, sentiment he did on the internet. I, I mean, that, that it's clear that he did something wrong. Like, regardless yeah. of like how much you know you want to kill the guy and all that stuff, at the end of the day, the rule of law is there for a reason. Lah, you know? Yeah, I, w- I actually would have been fine if, Cain, if the guy who got shot was the molester. But the fact that the guy who got shot was like an innocent guy, like I that made me have second thoughts. Yeah, it's just yeah, he just missed lah. He should be in better lah. But then it was a forty yeah. caliber gun with uh, you know, and and a high speed chase. That's that's the recipe for recklessness and endangerment lah. 
Yeah, indeed. Yeah. You know. Uh, boy. Um, yeah. Let's move on to um, another disgusting person. Uh, Vince McMahon hey. was recently on Pat McAfee's podcast to talk about all things. Um, this is his first non-kayfabe interview in years, in a decade, I think. Yeah. Uh, and he talked very freewheelingly, free very candidly to Pat McAfee on his podcast. Oh, an hour and a half. Uh, what are the things that we learned from this McMahon's interview with Pat McAfee? I did not watch the podcast, but Hardy did. So fill me in on, on, on all the various things that Pat, Pat McAfee managed to draw out of Vince McMahon. Okay, first of all, for some reason, Pat has this ability to make people at ease whenever he interviews them. Sure. Just maybe because he's a dumbass and he, you know, he, 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 he's an you know, quote-unquote idiot, lah, you know? So yep. people are, are always very comfortable in just talking to him because he doesn't make you feel like as if this is an interview. It's just more conversation. Mm-hmm. And so Vince, I think, fell into that. I mean, mm-hmm. he was wearing a suit with sneakers, by the way. Okay. <laughs> like running shoes. <laughs> okay. Already cute, really. Uh, he managed to get Vince quite emotional over things mm. like uh, The Undertaker where he's going to induct the Undertaker, the Undertaker into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, oh, by the way, uh, Vader was recently announced yes. also. Uh, uh, just, yeah. re- just like a few hours ago or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, uh, good on that. Yeah, Vader deserves it. Um, yep. And, you know, how uh, he talked about everything from... Uh, he was very complimentary on uh, Pat and his job as a commentator for the WWE, you know, and also the wrestling skills that he showcased uh, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, one other thing that Vince was talking about was also things like Brock Lesnar, how much uh, he really liked Brock Lesnar, how much he loved Michael Cole, you know, that kind of thing. All the, the mm. stalwarts of the WWE. Um, yeah. And you cannot, but maybe he has done very questionable things about like the releases and all that stuff. Because at the end of the day, he's the one that did the releases. You cannot blame anybody else because he's the man at the top. Right. Well, I mean, he's done more questionable things like oh, that. Oh, like hell yes. Murders and yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you cannot help but kind of feel the love he has for WWE. Mm-hmm. Like, legitimately, he was talking about uh, them going public and all that, you know, making him become more of like a businessman rather than a, uh, than a carny promoter. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I mean, he didn't say cunning promoter, but you know, that, that what happened when he went public, like, he became more businessman-y. Uh. And mm-hmm. uh, with that, you know, the whole like answering to the shareholders and all that stuff. And you suddenly see his decisions being colored by that. And you can feel a bit of, like, even though he felt that there was a great business move, I think there was like mm. a tinge of regret. Mm. Uh, but like, it was very subtle. Like, you. He doesn't say it at all, but it's just that because you know when you're you when you are beholden to the to the shareholders, it changes the dynamic of your entire business also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of thing which he does mention mm. Yeah, so he talks about all his questionable decisions of like with like Saudi Arabia, for example. You know, um, that it was uh, that yeah like, again it was a business move la, rather than a move about. Uh, any ethics or anything like that lah. Mm. Uh, so it was all what we thought Vince McMahon was is what Vince McMahon is lah. Mm. like yeah he's still an asshole and he doesn't apologize for it lah. you know mm. um, 
it's just that I was just taken off guard just at how relaxed he was during this conversation. Mm. Yeah. So, well, so Vin said that people in the area are people like the rest of us. They love the WWE about Saudi Arabia. Uh, mm-hmm. While their government doesn't love the United States government and their way of doing things, they're fascinated with Western culture and just the product. Then mm. WWE really has a major presence there as they do with many countries around the globe. That's one of his ways mm. to justify the whole uh, why they went there. Like, it's more for the fans rather than the government. But then the government is the one that's paying you the $200 million, you know? Mm. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I feel that a lot of fans who, wrestling fans, if they watch this, um, they'll just see Vince as being a businessman first and foremost, lah. That he's doing things for the WWE, for the good of the WWE, which might not be for the good of the WWE talent. Mm. You know what I mean? I feel that that takes priority. But I feel that if you showed Vince some sort of like loyal, like if Vince thinks that you're those kind of loyal guys, right, he's right and die. Mm. Yeah, especially when he's talking about The Undertaker and all that. Because Undertaker really went through everything with him from Monday Night Wars and all that stuff. Like Undertaker was bigger than the WWE at that moment of time in the Monday Mm. Night War, you know, and he did him not moving or, you know, there was no conversation at all about him moving at all. Mm. Like he was, he was so certain about uh, Mark Calloway's uh, decision to stay with WWE that he didn't even, they didn't even have a talk about it. Mm. Yeah, so that was quite interesting, I thought. Uh, and mm. therefore, why um, Vince is so loyal to that guy lah, until he can't wrestle, so he still put him on the card, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of the, the last part it was, the last part of Undertaker's career, as much as you, you think that it was Vince forcing it on him, I think it was really the Undertaker forcing Vince to put him on. Mm. Yeah, so that, that that's something interesting. Uh, um, I, I I mean, uh, I can't wait to see the induction. I want to see what Vince says about the Undertaker. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can't... Vince is not going to let the WWE go. He's not going to retire. People who think that he's going to retire is not. He's going to die as the chairman of the WWE, as the, the head of the WWE. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't see this as a job. It's a way of life for him. Yeah. So until... You know, he might outlive all of us. Mm. And yeah, because, you know, he's outlived so many people already. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, the WWE is in a very precarious place, but then I feel that they are still way too big to even focus on any other competition. Mm. Yeah. So I don't, I, I, when, when he, because he does talk about the AEW, like he doesn't really think about them at all. And I really think that he legitimately doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's maybe he's like uh, people that work under him are thinking about it, but Vince himself, I honestly think, doesn't give a shit about AEW, mm. or doesn't he doesn't even cross his radar because that's not what he's thinking about. Mm. Yeah, that kind of thing, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. He also mentioned that uh he's not going to hand over the company to his family. Or Hell no. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a tiny veiled swipe at uh it's of course Shane who he Shane. recently. Uh, Shane, who he recently fired. Uh, Stephanie, I think, is more in his good graces, but um, Stephanie is more of a CFO uh, of a financial type, not like a booking type. Yeah. Uh, and Triple H, obviously, like he has lost faith in, uh, as you can see with you know, uh, the NXT and also, and you know, Triple H did not outlive him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Triple H almost died recently with oh, yeah. a heart attack and all that. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I'm not particularly like big fans of like softball interviews with... Um, evil billionaires like I this I mean some people like them because it humanizes like uh 
whatever CEO pick whatever evil capitalist CEO that you have, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's whole excuses like, you know, uh if you're right or die, I'll be with you. Like, was Bret Hart not right or die for you? Like, until you betrayed him. Um, was Owen Hart not right or die for you? Uh, this whole thing about like, oh, I do things for business decisions. Like, cutting costs with uh, Owen Hart's uh, harness, you know, oh, like, during his... Yeah, uh, that, that and, was, and, and all of that. There's so many ducks um, on the rings that, 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 that can fill up uh, Vince McMahon episode. What about your mean inventor who murdered his girlfriend and you covered that up, you know, and, and all of that, you yep. know. Um, I just... I don't I push back on the idea that like oh Vince is like this nice sweet no, old no, man no no I understand all this yeah, interview. yeah. So, the, like, it just it comes off as, the interview makes him comes off at that but then we no yeah but like I said that, that is a puff piece interview yeah but like, I think he, it's he, unintentional on WWE's part like I feel that this was just no, it's, accidentally it's, 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 it's unintentional and the reason he goes on Pat McAfee is because Pat McAfee is a huge fan he just wants to ask about fan things yeah 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 of course and he's so in awe on Vince McMahon he's not gonna ask Vince about it's his boss. Cody yeah, he's not going to ask Vince about Cody, for example, which is probably the biggest thing that's happening in wrestling right now. Like, like where is Cody? Is he? Are you signing Cody? Things I agree like that. with you, though. But I think, right, that those kind of decisions are above his head. Like, not above his head, but rather, is like in the lower pay grades are the ones that are making this decision in the end. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Pat McAfee. I'm talking about oh, Pat McAfee yeah, being like not a good interviewer. Oh, he's yes, hell no. He... Yeah, yeah, he's, he's definitely not a good interviewer. In terms of, Pat... he's not a journalist. That's 100%. Pat Pat McAfee is so entertaining in so many ways as a personality, as a commentator. He's an entertainer. uh, As a guy, you know, but like, you know, he... The the reason Vince McMahon accepted this Pat McAfee interview is because he knew it was going to be softball questions with a big fan who, who who is in awe of him, you know. Like he, he would never ask like hard hitting questions, yeah, uh, or never, or never, never push him on things like Saudi Arabia, or like calling his releases date with, or so many other things that you could have talked about over the one and a half hours. The 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 spotted 60, 70 years that Vince has been in charge of you know this company, yeah. uh, all the good and bad decisions that he's made. You know he I mean, would never like yeah. You know, I mean they, they into went into more of the good stuff like like the WWE Network. You know he was one of the first movers and that kind of thing like. Yeah, yeah, and I know that Pat McAfee is not going to go into that. And yeah, kudos to him lah, because you know he got this interview and all that. But that is why I like I don't want to watch this interview. Yeah, I mean like, unless it, it's not going to ask the only reason the I watch this interview is because I am a Pat McAfee fan. Sure, yeah. yeah. I watch his, his show every night, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the whole difference. I, I, it's just Vince McMahon happened to be on. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, you know, like, it, it, it crafts this, like, false illusion that, oh, Vince McMahon does things for business sake, and the reason that WWE is so successful right now, in the short term, is because of Vince, without taking into account that everything that Vince has done has been short-term thinking. WWE in the long run, in, like, 10 years, 15 years, and 20 years, it's not going to be WWE anymore. It's not going to be WWE that we know of yeah. uh, as, as when, when we were kids. WWE Hell is yeah. slowly killing, is slowly, is slowly becoming a declining product because of Vince. And his short-sightedness. Because, because of his short-sightedness, he's getting a billion dollars here, billion dollars there, billion dollars here, billion dollars there. Uh, without thinking about like, what's going to happen 5, 8, 10, 15 years because from now. Yeah, there will what? come a time when you're aging superstars, the guys that you keep bringing back for nostalgia are dead. Mm. You know, but yeah. that will be around the time when Vince dies too. La. So I feel that mm. Vince's uh, thing is that he's just making as much money as he can mm. before he dies. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. 
But yeah. in terms of long-term twenty legacy kind of thinking, right? I mm. don't think he has any clue what he's doing. Or right, the damage yeah. that he's doing to to the the WWE brand, like I said, yeah, they're more fo- they've always been more focused on children. They've been more focused on you know, uh, fathers buying things for their kids and all that stuff. You know, that's why mm-hmm. John Cena was always been the the number one guy for the longest time. You know that kind of thing. You know, the the quarterly earnings call have always shown that that we continues to create massive. Improving profits year to year, improving yeah. profits, you know, always because of his uh, savvy business deals, uh, particularly with Vince and particularly with Nick, Nick Khan as well, with the Peacock deal and everything, yeah. right? You know, but on the flip side, also the core customer base seems to be declining. It's not there because anymore ev- because every year the ratings seem to decline. Every year pay per view sales seem to decline. Every year ticket sales seem to decline. Every year ratings for Raw and SmackDown seem to decline. You know. Mm-hmm. And it keeps declining. So I don't think it's a sustainable it's business model if, if you don't cater to your customer base. But it'll be sustainable and after he dies. That's the thing. It'll be sustainable for the next like couple of years exactly. la, until Vince dies. La. And then he, he won't care. Okay, but like, gone. you know, but like, I don't like the idea that like what Vince is doing now is for the good of WWE because it's not. He's killing the WWE. He's killing his baby. Yeah, but what I'm saying that he he has this I maybe I think it's a delusional idea where he really loves the WWE to that to that extent, yeah, where he thinks that everything that he does is gold, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I get what you mean. I and you I mean. just yeah. think because of the power he holds, yeah. Therefore, you know, when you are at that kind of level, right? Nobody is going to tell you you're wrong. Mm. You know what I mean? That's the problem, though. Nobody is, is telling him exactly. That. And the person that maybe could have told him that suffered a heart attack and he died. Yeah, 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 and was in and in, in his doghouse basically. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, the WWE. I agree. I mean, we talked about it so many times. It's a declining product. We, I mean, basically everybody who who love pro wrestling is watching AEW. It's watching everything else but the WWE. Mm. You know, I'm not even talking about hardcore. I'm not even talking about like hardcore fans. I'm just talking about normal pro wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. You know, they switched over. I mean, look at the, and that's you can see from the, the numbers in 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 uh in AEW why they are constantly are not like exponentially rising, but they are nevertheless retaining and uh rising slowly, you know? Um I think AEW is the only company during the pandemic that actually gained views. Exactly. They went from six, seven hundred thousand to 1. million, 2. million point two ish, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas the WWE actually declined, you know. Yes, WWE has three to four times the number of viewers, especially SmackDown, uh, since but that's different because uh, SmackDown's on the Fox, network. Fox, it's it's a, the network that is, it's, that is powering that. Correct. It's it's on a nationally broadcast network, like, whereas you know, AW is on cable, yeah, so exactly. they have already less viewers, like, so it's not apples to oranges, like, so I mean Sure, yeah, but I don't. I personally don't see the WWE surviving in a, dec- a decade from now with the current model that Vince has built. Nah, it's on the. It's really I feel on his last legs. Mm. Yeah, just yeah. because it's been just the soul is not there anymore. You know what I mean? Sure. What yeah. made the WWE awesome in the Attitude Era and even in the early days of ruthless aggression? Right. Mm. It's not there. Even ruthless aggression kind of era, right? Their soul that was around during that period of time is gone. Yep. You know that John Cena led uh locker room, yeah, it had its its ups and downs and all that stuff, but still that's gone too, you know? Mm-hmm. And and because you keep firing your your wrestlers and all that and ho- and just putting all your eggs in one basket called Roman Reigns, right? 
Mm-hmm. Look at what's happening in it. There is no compelling story apart from that. Yep. Like, I don't give a shit. I mean, sorry, Ricochet. I love the, the guy, but he won the IC Championship. Could I care even less? Mm-hmm. You know? RK Bro winning the Raw Tag Team Championships ahead of WrestleMania. I, do, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Just because they, they, they did things that you know, there was no, you know, there's no great story. You know, like look how how passionate we talk about revolution. Mm. We haven't talked about WWE like that in years since we started sure. this podcast. Sure. You know? Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. It's it's sad, lah. But I mean, I will be tuning in for WrestleMania 38 in three weeks. Because time, it's habitual, and really. And we, I mean, we also have to review like the biggest show of the year, yeah. And also because it still is the it, biggest show of the year. Of course, you know, but in three three and a half weeks' time, we will be back for WWE WrestleMania 38 mm-hmm. alongside NXT Stand and Deliver, mm-hmm. NXT 2.0 Stand and Deliver, mm-hmm. alongside ROH Supercard of Honor. Let's go. Um, and I firmly believe that it's ROH Supercard of Honor that will take the, the spotlight like that weekend. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm excited for ROH at least. I'm, I'm actually kind of excited for NXT Stand and Deliver as well mm-hmm. because, you know, NXT 2.0 has delivered solid products um, no excitement regardless for WrestleMania 38 I don't care if there is Stone Cold versus Kevin Owens I is don't that... care about I mean possibly okay. maybe I don't care if Cody Rhodes debut maybe Cody Rhodes like, will be the one big news because... come out of of WrestleMania 38 but I don't care about Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory because there's no story there mm-hmm. um, Stone Cold versus Kevin Owens is not even a sure thing and even if it is it's such a one and done deal that why would you care mm-hmm. There's just nothing long term for the future like that to get excited by from the WWE, and that's a shame, I guess. It is, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, we will be back for High Hits 201 in a few weeks' time. Uh, till then, though, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Hardy. Uh, goodbye, guys. Bye bye. Ciao.